Next week on James Bond Wednesday. Who is Bond? Sean Connery is 007. You're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. With his usual bag of tricks. Don't be black, never case. You cannot escape. This isn't your day, is it? From TBS, with pleasure. I am much obliged. James Bond Wednesday continues with From Russia with Love. Next Wednesday night at 8.05 Eastern on TBS. Did you say your autobiography is going to be called From Munchak with Love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's been the working title. I think that's uh, that's going to be the final um, on the on the final release. Uh, I'm getting the proof back next month to go right. through the edits. Right. Um, I, f- I see this being an eight part memoir, um, and uh, this is part one for me. Yeah, and it really only covers uh, the calendar year 1997, 98, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah, exactly. Late yeah. late nineties, very like about a fourteen month period, right? Um, and it 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 could fill. It's it's one hundred and fifty thousand words. It's perfect. It's cl- yeah, I think it's the proper length for. That's an afternoon read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> you had I, hel- helicopters and train sequences and and uh, speedboat chases, all of it. Oh yeah, lots of gunplay. Yeah. Um, and 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 drinking with indigenous people of different lands. It was great. Well, and when I got your resume that that detailed all of that work, that was what that was your entry into Recon Cinema Studios. Yeah, I mean, we had known each other, um, yeah. but you know, oh, I, that's I, where David's been. <laughs> yeah, perfect. You're hired. But it was and, time to apply for the job in the mailroom. Exactly. <laughs> and you worked your way up all the way from the mailroom to the Golden Tower. Absolutely. Where you are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that being said, uh, welcome to another episode of Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And we are back here. We are. Uh, we had so much fun taking a look back at Dr. No a few months ago that we are, are back for more Bond. And we are mm-hmm. deep diving from Russia with love. And we have a very, very special guest, don't we, David? We do, in fact. Um, we have a very special guest uh from our from recon cinema studios technical branch located in the uk we have our director of exchequer studies uh john kazempel welcome john hey thank you for having me i hope you guys are well it's it's not quite as early in the morning there as it is here Mm -hmm. i am your intern uh gerald i think it was kept saying okay we're going to record at five and i kept saying five there five here because you know eight hour time difference Mm -hmm. and um I guess he meant there. So yeah. You know. So sorry about that. Gerald is has always been a buffoon. Uh, but you know, you know, I just he, hit he's the got security button. I just okay. hit the security. He's going to be out of here in the next okay. twenty. Have you seconds. ever met a Gerald who was remotely useful? <laughs> no. <laughs> Make sure they get his parking pass. <laughs> Done. <laughs> um, but uh, John, John, you and uh, uh, John K from in the UK, you're currently, I mean, we do have an office for you here in our local branch uh, in, in Los Angeles, but you're out there right now. Uh, John, you and I knew each other in college, uh, even lived, lived together for even a year. 
Um, and somehow you're one of you're the only remaining person I speak to on a regular basis from those days of my life. So uh, yeah, will will your autobiography cover those twelve months ish? Because it would, it would uh, that would probably be in part two if I'm going on the timeline uh, from the from the first one. So I'm gonna... okay. There there may need to be some uh, as we call them uh, solicitors over here <laughs> want to look at that manuscript and sure you'll you'll get a pass sure. at, at, at the things we need to redact for sure. I, okay. I mean I, I think it's important. And so you were you were among the uh, the various cinephiles of my life. If I if I may be uh, clear, I mean there's been three major cinephiles probably in my life um, and that I met in different times. And we've had one of them, uh, Joe Seta came on and did our Teen Wolf episode. I know Joe. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, there's familiarity there. Um, and John, you were like uh, in college, you were my that, my that next person who was always putting me into movie uh, situations, movie talk. I was kind of observing and learning. And, it, and, then, um, and then Mr. John Diner, probably the third person uh so you guys form a um is that a triangular triumvirate triumvirate of yeah. cinephile maniacs as i like to call them um so th this is like my world's colliding in so many different ways and and uh john k you were very much or kazemple we can call it kazemple like uh right is that is that fine How do that we is fine i i have i have no uh, specific uh preference Okay. So Kazemple, you know, you, uh, you were always, uh, in my head, I always thought you were a big James Bond fan and I don't think I've ever watched a James Bond movie with you. Uh, that is, uh, absolutely true. Um, <laughs> I used to joke that, uh, my dad raised me on this stuff. I started re reading Ian Fleming when I was, uh, in third grade. Whoa. Um, I've said for a lot of years that Goldfinger is a very confusing book to an eight-year-old and, <laughs> Uh, and the first one I saw in the theater with my dad was The Living Daylights right around then. Uh, saw all of them in the theater with my dad up through Casino Royale, I want to say. Wow. Um, then have seen all of them many, many times. Uh, today, uh, watching the movie to prep for this, I actually had to, uh, A, use a Blu-ray disc that I don't think, I don't think I've played a Blu-ray in like 18 months. <laughs> with with everything streaming now uh -huh. um but I, I actually have it was a christmas gift back in like 12 13 uh the 50th anniversary blu-ray set oh, um, that's a great set yeah and I, was, oh. I, I had never actually watched for much with love on it and oh. uh so yeah no i um at one point you may remember this dave in college i could rattle off uh director lead actress villain sidekick screenwriter everything for every bond movie from dr no through I guess at the time would have been the world is not enough. Yeah. Right. I yeah. Yeah. Was... Very much. I could do that anymore. I think oh, you probably couldn't, you couldn't access all that. that no, that, that stuff is long. <laughs> I, I literally can't remember like what I had for lunch today. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. So, well, yeah, I mean, this is what happens as we, we age, uh, the things we can, the things we need to hold on to, uh, stay there. And the things we don't really need in our lives kind of fall away. Well, we have some, we've developed some useful things here at Technical Branch. We did keep Roger Moore alive since, you know, 1976 <laughs> when he was declared that. clinically dead. Yeah, I mean, um, the mission is to get him back into a Bond movie. So we're, we're going to spearhead that if we can. Yeah, we're going to get him back uh, one way or another. <laughs> Our science project for uh, 2021. Yeah, but so it was, I thought it was imperative that after we covered Dr. No that Kazemple come on and... Uh, 
and you two could could really school me because I feel like all these Bond movies up 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 until the up until License to Kill is for me is an education like that movie an education I very think. similar <laughs> so I uh, take me to school boys <laughs> well yeah it's interesting that we are we're coming from I guess John and I are coming from pretty similar it sounds like backgrounds with the bond franchise because i i started to get into it at an early age and then really got into it in, in high school but you're coming from the more uh modern pers perspective which is going to be interesting to hear what you thought of from russia with love sure. watching a 1963 film uh a, a very popular film from today's uh through today's lens sure yeah yeah no i can't wait to give you my take on it so so, so John, so you read, you read the books at an early age and, and you, so yeah, you probably saw them, what, a lot of them on TV too as well, right? Uh, a bunch on TV. Uh, I remember buying VHSs a lot. Um, the one set, I want to say that had like purple and gold covers, the, cause you could only buy a letterbox VHS, of mm -hmm. course, because otherwise, what are we even doing here? Um, <laughs> My father, my father was a teacher, and we had a ton of movies because they had an AV lab at his school. So, like, whenever my we watched a movie that me and my sister liked, my dad would take it to school the next day and get it copied. Nice. So we we definitely had a bunch of them from that. Um, yeah, Spy Who Loved Me for some reason. I'm pretty sure I saw way more times than like any nine year old. Right. <laughs> well, it's like you. Everyone has their first Bond movie, and that like, like that's the one. And it could be any Bond movie uh, that that was the first one that you saw that really drew you into the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. For that, me. Yeah. Go ahead, John. That horrifyingly enough was uh, the first one I ever saw was A View to a Kill, um, and I kept watching. So what? What did I know? I was I was seven. There what, you go. Uh, that that was uh, <laughs> that was one of the, there was I you know for me it was. Goldfinger and View to a Kill. I saw them both right around the same time, right after View to a Kill had come out. Right. Uh, so that was my my intro. And, you know, at the time, I loved Roger Moore. I was a Roger Moore guy. Yeah. I was my first, uh, as a reminder of the audience, my first one was License to Kill. Uh, and in the 80s, I was big on movies with licenses in them. So the, the two Corys in License to Drive and Timothy Dalton in License to Kill. I was It was right up my alley. You only watched movies with license in it. Yeah, yeah. Stop or my mom will shoot is kind of like a, a licensed movie, but it's you know that's it, that's kind of like a licensed kill kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I see it anyway. They're broadly similar. Yeah. So those three are my my licensed trilogy movies <laughs> that I like to break out every once in a while. Yeah, my uh, my we talked about this in the Doctor No episode, which you can listen to in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com. Uh, but we, my background with the Bond movies, I, I'm sure man, many of you who listened to that episode remember the little treat I put on about the read and listen mm -hmm. to the James Bond yes. books. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, I, I remember getting some of those, uh, which I had uh, Dr. No and The Spy Who Loved Me, those heavily condensed versions for kids. Uh, but Goldfinger, View to a Kill, the first one I saw in the theater was License to Kill. Uh, same as you, David. Mm -hmm. And then I, so I was into like a handful of the Bond movies in the 80s, but then it wasn't until that gap between Dalton and Brosnan was over. That whole, remember the hype of Brosnan coming in and 
the buildup for GoldenEye was like the 1995 was like this huge relaunch of the Bond franchise, yeah. and it was it was a big deal. And, and then I I I, I, I don't remember if TBS. Uh, ran them before 95 or they must have I'm sure it was just as soon as they got the licenses that there you go license uh, <laughs> they ran them and, and it was the, you know remember movies for guys who like movies right yes. it, was, it was it was that it was those bond marathons over and over and over and no rhyme or reason to the order in which they aired those right yeah <laughs> I remember like, that like I sorry I I always joke that the one next generation episode i've seen more than any other is cause and effect because for like 10 years every time i turned on next gen it was cause and effect the ironically time loop episode of next generation right um in those marathons the man with the golden gun like every single time i would turn <laughs> the tv and it's freaking christopher lee and her velishes i'm like come on man <laughs> so every man. year the marathon's going and you might turn it on in the afternoon one time and then well, the it was like three times morning. a year yeah, oh they, really? yeah they ran it multiple times a year oh. <laughs> and it was like man with the golden gun followed by dr no followed by you know diamonds are for like there's no it's not in any kind of order and which doesn't yeah. really matter for bond yeah true but I did, I also got the, uh, once. so when GoldenEye came out, I got Bond obsessed. So then I was watching all of them and I, we actually got them. We did the Columbia House thing. Oh. So we there did that and it was like each month got another Bond movie. And those, yeah. all those original posters were so great on the VHS covers. Mm -hmm. And then none of the DVDs, I don't think any of the DVDs have had those original covers on them. They've like done close-ups of you know connery's face and roger moore's face and just not the same yeah they all had that like they all had like similar trade dresses on them with each whatever wave of release right and now we have the blu-ray which is like black with gold lettering and no pictures on it at all yeah, and that's oh, really? just a travesty yeah. yeah that's no good i remember i remember being very young and going in the video store movies one and seeing the bond movies and the, on beta and and the betamax version was just a still a random still from the movie <laughs> so it wasn't any kind of like official poster it was and, and the one for from russia with love was connery on the speedboat at the end firing the yes flare right Huh. I remember seeing that someplace. Yeah, like what the hell kind of poster is that? <laughs> <laughs> and so, why is he wearing that cap in that whole scene too? Well, well he's on a boat. <laughs> he's a boat uh, captain. Guess... <laughs> when you're the captain, you wear a cap. <laughs> like standard. David does it when he when he's taking the the boat around the studio lot here. He mm -hmm. must wear the captain's hat. Absolutely. I won't do it. I, I got people must address me as captain. Yeah. Captain Munchak. <laughs> you can and should call him the captain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, um, that's your new name, David. The captain. <laughs> so we're so we're gonna do this the second James Bond movie, uh Doctor No Two. Is that Doctor No was Part that, Two? Yeah. Is that the original title of this? It's just like the Rambo franchise. It's <laughs> <laughs> Doctor No Part Two. Yeah. From Russia with love. First, for me, <laughs> it's a great naming structure. Yeah, it worked for Rambo. So yeah, um, yeah. So we did a very deep dive into Doctor No and the history of Bond, and we talked a lot about 
uh, which we're not we're not going to recover. We're going to each time we cover a Bond movie, we're not going to cover everything we've talked about previously. You'll have to go back in the archives and and listen to those episodes if you haven't heard it already. But we are uh, we're just going to kind of bridge the gap between Doctor No and From Russia with Love, which is not a long bridge at all. It's fast. Yeah, From Russia with Love comes out like eight weeks after Doctor No or something like that. It's yeah, it's very very fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and we'll we'll get into that. But yeah, in our Doctor No episode, we discussed the background of Bond. We talked about Ian Fleming and the whole creation, uh, the decision to make it a film and uh, you know everything that went into that between Terrence Young and, and Sean Connery and the casting and the decision to choose Dr. No as the first, as the first film. Uh, but now we're gonna see the Dr. No's come out and what's happened since then. And, and that's what we're getting into here today. John, let's start with you. Where does From Russia With Love kind of rank for you for me it's i hadn't actually seen it um it's been at least 10 years if not more than that mm-hmm. before earlier today um my memory of it like going in i'm like putting the disc in and sitting down i'm like this is like one of the best you know, this is this is at near or at the top of all the like best bond lists and and for me i remember liking it a lot when i was younger when i was a teenager when i was you know a college student stuff like that and i'm watching it today and i'm like i see why i like this i'm not sure how much i love it anymore Mm -hmm. um there's like a continuum of james bond from like really good james bond movies to really bad ones yeah it's it's not really bad but it's (sighs) you're definitely gonna it's so antithetical to what almost every other bond movie is until you get to like Daniel Craig, and yeah, yeah. I hear and, and and it's it sets it out, sets it apart so much that it's it's almost tough to compare it to the rest. Um, if you look at it in a purely like pure qualitative state, it's probably one of the best of them. Mm-hmm. But it is it it's probably one of the best movies with James Bond. I don't know if it's a particularly great James Bond movie if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think I get what you're saying. You know, part of it is it's obviously so early in the franchise that they're still formulating and it's really in this movie that they start to get all the James Bond-isms. They start to form in this one because there's certainly not in, a a lot of it is not in Dr. No. That feels like almost an entirely separate movie to me. Yeah. And this, yeah, this, it's interesting that you said that because I feel the same way that this is a, a really good film as far as, you know, the love of Bond. I don't know. You know, I, I do rank it up high. It's probably in my top five Bond movies, but you're right though. It doesn't really feel like a Bond movie. It's Goldfinger that really like launches that to the next yeah. level, hmm. which is of course right after this one. So yes, because they, they really, the first four, I want to say they bang them out one a year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, 62, uh, 62, 63, 4, and 5. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. And then they're coming out every two years, basically, all the way through 89. And that's when you get your first gap. And then we're currently in our, I believe we're in our biggest gap of, of the Bond movies right now. And between what? Spectre and whatever no the next to die. Yeah. How much time? How much time has passed? Uh, Spectre was 2015. 
Was it so, really that long ago? Yeah, wow. it doesn't feel like it, but it's been six years. And then you've got, I guess, yeah, six years really between uh, License to Kill and GoldenEye, and then only four between uh, what was the last uh, Die Another I, Day, Die Another Day, and and Casino. Yeah. Huh. So we're tied for longest run right now. We'll see if uh, we'll see if No Time to Die uh, actually comes out this year does a streaming release count will that like break the streak i don't know i think they're gonna hold that one for the theater i mean james bond is a theater movie so yeah oh i hope so yeah well that's the thing they can they can hold that movie and then re and then recast bond and make the next bond and then you could have you could put one out you know in two years in a row and then you know redo the new franchise you know like may as well hang on to it you could actually have the next Bond in the movie if you wanted to. That's yeah, true. You could just insert. <laughs> yeah, put him in. Although, aren't we, aren't we so partially assuming that Lashana Lynch is going to be the next James Bond? Well, here's the thing. I think she's the next 007. 007, yeah. Which uh, is the, the little catch there that, you know, that's been a, a debate about can they change can they change who James Bond is? Is James Bond, in the world of Bond, is he an actual character? And people assume the James Bond identity, not just the 007 identity. Hmm. That's one of those theories that are out there that all of these guys have assumed they are not actually born with the name James Bond. These are all different people who are taking that persona. Yeah. Well, Skyfall ruined all of that. So. Hey, correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, the Bond, the Bond franchise is very um, awkward to track the lineage of, of when these are taking place. And it, it's a hard reset with, with Casino yeah. Royale. And, and you can, you know, clearly that is one, one through line, but they're all over the place before yeah. that. Trying to figure the timeline of James Bond is worse than trying to figure out the timeline of Mad Max. Right. <laughs> right. What's a sequel well, to what? Um, well, that's like, do you remember uh, Liquid TV on MTV where oh, Eon, yeah. Flux, Eon Flux Eon debuted? Flux. And then every Eon Flux short, well, I think oh, the very first time with Liquid TV, it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was one fluid story. The second season when they did more Eon Flux, they did every, every story, she died at the end of every story. So it was this weird, like, they, don't, they weren't part of continuity, but it introduced a bunch of characters that ended up being in the Charlize Theron movie um that you know the live action movie they did what eight years ago or something mm -hmm. um so it was kind of it was it was very fascinating to me i think oh actually some of those characters came from a series that they did eventually so eon flux had all these iterations you can't say all those eon fluxes are in the same world um and i think it's i think that's kind of the fun like i i wouldn't even care if they you know yeah there's a new double o whoever she would be and then there's a guy named james bond and he's a double o maybe or he's you know he hasn't gotten that promotion yet and it doesn't like matter that the Daniel Craig James Bond existed. I don't think right. I would like, and you could use all the other ancillary actors, you know, repeat yeah. them all, like right. use all, use everybody again. And it just well, doesn't it, matter. That's one of those thoughts that are out there is could you have a Pierce Brosnan or even a Timothy Dalton or both of them show up right. as you know, whatever their actual identities are. It's an interesting thought. I don't, I don't know if I agree with it, but yeah, I don't think it matters. Of, I hope, hopefully, hopefully, they would stay away from that and just give us a new bond and just kind of, yeah. you know, try try something else. Well, I, th uh, I think, I think what they could do is so many of these books were not faithfully adapted that the movies vary so greatly from the from the novels that you could do 
another whole version of the movie that is more of a faithful adaptation of the book. Yeah. I mean, R Casino Royale is probably the most faithful adaptation of any of them, almost. Yeah, there's. I, I feel like From Russia is pretty close. Honor Majesty's Secret Service is it's also very close as well. Close. Yes, yeah. that's true. Those were always traditionally, you know, pre-Daniel Craig, yeah. those were the two that you kind of pointed to that like, those are pretty spot on, but so many of the others, they they mix and match them. Like half of Live and Let Die happens in the License to Kill movie. Yes. So, you know, and like A View to a Kill is that there's, that there's no book that has that storyline in it. It's just the title taken from one of the short stories. Yeah. Hmm. And wasn't it also David Hedison in the Live and Let Die movie as Felix Leiter? Correct. Yep. Like we're we're gonna feed you to a shark eventually, buddy. Just not for a little while yet. Yeah, he was uh, he was the only for the longest time for our whole upbringing. He was the only Felix Leiter that repeated. Yeah, I looking up today. I I, I my memory of it is is still that like oh Felix is in like every movie but one. He's only in I think eight. Yeah. Or or, or nine total movies. Like, wow, I really thought he was up there like all the time. And. I had a big objection of how he's portrayed in, in everything, I think, except Dr. No. I mean, he's kind of a bumbling buffoon in so many of them. <laughs> Jack Jack Lure is a great Felix Leiter. Oh, he was perfect. And and it was too bad that he couldn't, that he didn't stick around. Uh, I don't remember when Hawaii Five-0 started. I feel like that was the late 60s, but um, it would have been great if he had continued on with that character. I like that Jeffrey Wright has stayed as Felix Leiter. And I, I do like his version of it. I'll watch Jeffrey Wright do anything. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, it's interesting for, for us, you know, who grew up with Bond, watching those movies, you know, when we were younger and watching them now, it, it, the perspective on them clearly can change. And there's so much about Bond in general that, and it's been addressed elsewhere that what that doesn't hold up anymore. The sexism, the, you know, and a lot of them, the racism, um, it's, some of it is hard to stomach. And, and this movie in particular, I feel like, oh yeah, there's a, there's a pretty fair amount of sexism going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like watching it today, the, the whole gypsy camp sequence scene, I'm like, I, yeah. I, I, like, I, I want to be someone, hear someone not even film this, just pitch this in 2021 yeah. oh god, oh, god. Never. yeah and like so the, the, there's there's a cat fight between two gypsies over a man i'm like oh my god oh dear <laughs> yeah. god yes and it's gypsy it's gypsy law that they must fight yes <laughs> yeah. like, like oh my god and then not only that he, he he beds both of them right yeah. after yeah well you can have them then yeah. oh my god they don't oh get god. to choose yeah. <laughs> we're giving them to you well They're they were all people. about they were all about it. They could each have them. Right. Ridiculous. Yeah. But I also... mean, the, the whole melting over Bond, you know, is it's just, it doesn't age well. I, I think clearly they've addressed that kind of stuff for the Daniel Craig movies and yeah. improved on it. I mean, it's not perfect. It's, it's ingrained with the character to a, to a certain extent, but it is handled better now. For sure. Yeah, I mean, so, and then for me, like, you guys are, like, you know, ranking how it feels like this. So if I'm going to compare Dr. No to this, like, um, this, I, the first, I watched it a couple of times to prepare, because the first time I watched it, I was just kind of like, it's kind of, I didn't really like it all that much. I don't know why. Maybe it wasn't, 
exciting enough or something. I don't know. Um, it got really exciting at the end, I guess. Those last, you know, 25 minutes is, are pretty great. Um, and it, and for like the sort of the cat and mouse of it, of it, you know, this, you know, he's on a very simple mission and he's being followed. And it's, I think, I don't think it needs, I think the pacing's off for that. Like, it's not really that interesting to me until, you know, we finally get to the confrontation going. Right. There's like, there's like nice things about it, but I don't know, like the opening, one of the opening scenes at the chess match though, like it was this just giant ornate, beautiful set. And like the floor, they're on a they're on a dais, and uh, the floor is a chess board. And I'm like, oh my god, is this where the big finale fight's gonna be? They're all gonna be dressed up as chess pieces fighting each other. Is that like a like a Batman '63 kind of or Batman's? What year is that Batman show from? '66. '66. Yeah. '66. So like, I'm thinking like, there's gonna be the chess master, and he's gonna have minions. Like, that's a perfect set for this a big fight scene. Never happened. All this this beautiful set, and it was yeah. just to, just to set it up. That's it. And, and then you don't get really a big, beautiful set like uh, for the rest of the movie, you know, like whereas Dr. No had some of those great that great production design with Dr. No was Ken Adam. Yeah, that's yeah. Ken Adam is the, the key element that's missing here. I mean, so much of the well, let's talk about that when we when we get into the the, the birth of the movie here. Yeah, but. yeah. But so then this well, one, this, this yeah, this, so this just had a different flavor for me. The second time around, I noticed how much funnier it is. It's, you know, just the lines are kind of good. There's the, the whimsy is a little more. It, I appreciate the whimsy a little bit better the second time around, uh, and stuff like that. And um, it's and then, funny you you mentioned the chess scene. Yeah. Um, watching it today, my memory of that scene is that it's Kronstein who retires in the match. He gets his little note under the glass of water. He's like, oh, sh I gotta go. And right. then he retires, and I'm like, no, he just wins the match a move later. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> yeah. so it didn't matter that they needed to see him; he was about to win anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's not even dramatic. Like, yeah. Yeah. it's not like he was toying with the guy. He just, oh, he was one move away. It's just coincidence. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that was, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, it, it's just a, it's, it, there's just that I think a pacing problem with what the story is trying to do that I, I still feel like I don't know. And it's interesting because I, I honestly, by the end of the movie, after the first time, I was like, I think Bond has only shot his shot shot the helicopter. He's only killed one person. And then on the second term, I do see that he, the, he killed the a couple. The gypsy camp scene when he kills like forty people. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh right, he actually does actually because well because most of his action there is just knocking people out and like yeah. doing stuff. And then there's not like dramatic showing of him like shooting other guys. Like he does it, but like it's not it's not yeah. shot like a big deal. So I almost I almost didn't register those kills because. Uh, you know, it just it wasn't quite as exciting. But anyway. I, I actually, I actually did a kill count, which yeah. we forgot to mention in Doctor No. So we'll start right. it here. Yeah. Doctor No death count: twelve people die, four uh, by the hand of James Bond. Mm -hmm. From Russia with Love, twenty-seven people die, eleven by James Bond. He killed eleven people in that yeah. movie. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. So total of 39 deaths between two movies and 15 of them are by Bond. Wait until you guys get to GoldenEye and the death count just goes off the chart. Oh, yeah. Bond kills <laughs> yeah. himself like 300 guys in that movie. Yep. <laughs> and it goes way down, I think, with Roger Moore because we, we just spend so much time with the ladies in the Roger Moore movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a way for me to be upset about that and not sound really misogynistic and sexist, but I didn't find it, so oh well. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though. These Connery bonds, 
over time, I mean, can you look at them any other way except nostalgically? It's like watching today. Um, it wasn't until much later in life uh, when I was after college, when I became uh, really sort of obsessed and fanatical about uh, John LaCara and who, who just recently passed away. Yeah. And there was a great thing after his death was that one of the things LaCara changed was the entire genre of like spy and espionage fiction, um, notably because he hated James Bond. Mm. And watching this today, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a low rent pre John LaCara spy story, um, which is interesting because one of the like 46 writers on this movie was Len Dayton, who is literally like low rent pre John LaCara spy right. writing. So it's. I, the one thing I read today was it's a Cold War thriller. And when you look at it like that, I, I don't think it's necessarily nostalgic. Um, it's it's tough to get back into that weird Cold War mentality. I mean, mm. it was almost over by the time we were like cognizant of things like that. Um, and so it really only exists in movies for like our generation. Right. That's true. But when you look at it that way, it's like, nah, this is, you know, uh, international espionage of a simpler time and a more direct time like karen bay talks about how yeah we don't we don't really do anything with each other here we just we just kind of go with it and then when right. things start blowing up everyone's like wait wh why is this happening yeah yeah they're much more reactionary than actually looking to deal with anything yeah yeah these uh, i don't know ever, especially since the Daniel Craig Bond movies, and it, and it even probably started a little bit with Brosnan. It's harder and harder to take these movies seriously. I mean, like when I watch them, so much just because so much has changed since then, it comes across comedically to me in a lot of ways. I mean, I still enjoy it very much. Like I can have a good time with many of the Bond movies. Uh, some I can't, but. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, the Connery ones fall into this. For me, I guess they just fall into like, I can really only watch them when I specifically want to watch a Connery Bond movie. When I want to throw on a James Bond movie for the action of it, I'm definitely going Daniel Craig. Uh, there, yeah, it's, I mean, it's weird. Like, you can almost see like the Roger Moore James Bond coming, even as early as like for Much with Love with the, the weird, like, zinger, quippy one-liners that Sean Connery is just not very good at. Sean Connery is a lot of things, but, like, dashing off comedy I don't think has ever been one oh, of them. Oh, no, no. You're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. Thank you. But I think my mouth is too big. No, it's the right size. For me, that is. And you, you, you look at, especially, like, the characterization in, in Dr. No... And for much with love, they're still trying. And I don't know if it was it was Terrence Young or Covey Broccoli or whoever was saying, oh, we need to make this guy a little more lighthearted. And Sean Connery just isn't that. And it, it always the one liners always seem really forced from him for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it, with the exception of, of positively shocking from Goldfinger, right. which is <laughs> like the most Sean Connery thing ever. Right. It, it feels very like you know, it feels very set up, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, we're coming to that moment. Here it is. And with Roger Moore, it flowed a little more naturally. 
Oh, I said, I, there's a lot I don't like about Roger Moore Bond movies, most of them. Um, but he he was very good at light comedy. Um, Daniel Craig, oddly enough, we've learned other things, is also very funny. Um, oh, yeah. But if, yeah. if his Bond started to be funny, people, that would be like a, a revolt against the character they've worked on now. Oh, yeah, they can't. They can't go that way now. It's uh, they've, they've committed. And Dalton was pretty serious, too. I mean, he, like, tried to be funny, but... Timmy Dalton didn't learn to be funny until he was like 50 years old. Yeah. And then he got really funny. And then he's in Hot Fuzz. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, all right. Well, let's talk a bit about the book for a minute. So, especially, John, since you're familiar with it, this is the fifth of the James Bond novels. It's published in April 1957. So, the order of uh, release for the James Bond novels does not match the order uh, of release for the films at all. Uh, again, completely different order, completely different. Uh, you know, the storylines run through very differently in the books. I mean, the, the books specifically have through lines uh, like like the Daniel Craig ones uh, films do. But the films yeah. v- have very few uh, links to each other. I mean, there's you know, we, we see like we don't even get a follow up from what happens in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, there's a very small follow-up in Diamonds Are Forever and then another kind of nod to it in For Your Eyes Only. But that's really, yeah, that's really it. And then from Dr. No to this, there's other than Sylvia Trench and and (laughs) the uh, specter wanting to to get revenge for uh, Dr. No, there's really no connection to Dr. No. I had completely forgotten Sylvia Trench is in this movie. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right in the beginning. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, so this, uh, it's Casino Royale, Live and Let Die, Moonraker, Diamonds Are Forever, and then From Russia With Love. So <laughs> David, for not being familiar with the books, that's the order. And then Dr. Mm. No comes out after From Russia With Love. My memory serves the, the Spectre story starts in Thunderball, the book. I believe, I, yeah, I can't remember. I, I think that's correct. Thunderball the, is, the, yeah, go ahead. The book for Much With Love is still Smirsh, I want to say. Yes, still Smirsh at this point, yep. Yeah, which yeah, is a right. 100% real thing, by the way, which I love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's funny, <laughs> huh? Uh, so yeah, but th- like we said, this is one of the more faithful uh, films to the novels. So, you know, that has that going for it, but... This was, uh, they chose this movie. So Dr. No comes out, huge hit, uh, you know, with a, what was it, a, a $6 million uh, box office. So, but back then that's enormous. So uh, MGM immediately green lights it into, uh, for the next movie. So they picked this one because at the time, this is on, to- on JFK's top 10 John, list for his John book. Kennedy's favorite book. Yep. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. And little <laughs> trivia: This was the, lo- the the last film that he saw before he was assassinated. November twentieth. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That so that was the last thing on his mind. <laughs> well, that close. And. well, well <laughs> that and <laughs> to be crass, um, but yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So the popularity, you know, once once JFK, you know, JFK was such a popular president that releasing his book list uh, really through the spotlight on this one. So wise choice. Uh, I, I get the 
so this is, I mean, I guess they're already off track from the books right from the get-go, and this kind of continues that, but it does make sense of why they would pick this particular movie. It's very timely. And the Cold War, the whole Cold War, uh, you know, the relevance to that is is pretty key here. Um, this is right around the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, even though the movie kind of goes out of its way to, like, make it not a Cold War story, we, we inject Spectre into this specifically so that it isn't a, a, a Russia versus the West story. Right. And it, it makes like the title from Russia with love, uh, but it's not, it's not really, it's from Blofeld with love. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, be, I mean, the Russian army like is in the movie because that's where um, Kleb comes from. Right. That she's right. She's come out of that, and Tatiana is still working for the the KGB, right? Or, yeah, yeah. She's a she's a cipher clerk, right? Which, well, I, I think it's this it seems like a nice setup. Then you know, we got someone being being puppet master over 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 the Russians and and the and the West. I mean, I think that's kind of a that's a great way to inject if you want to like start a through line. And if Spectre, I I don't know really anything about Spectre other than they they. This is kind of their bag, right? Very much controlling things from the oh, outside. Yeah. So, well, Doctor No even says it in, in that film that you know, East West, it doesn't matter. Like Spectre is going to control all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's, I think this is kind of a cool way to get it going. And then is uh is Blofeld with the cat? Is that the first supervillain with a cat? Is this yeah, where it all comes oh, yeah. from? Oh yeah, that's the trope namer. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Just double checking. So yeah, you can you Inspector Gadget. All it all comes yeah. from this. Yeah, I, there was I was I was getting major Inspector ba Gadget vibes. <laughs> well, Inspector, it's Bond is still alive, and the Lector is not yet in our possession. I had already negotiated with the Russians to return it to them. We've agreed a price. Inspector always delivers what he promises. Our whole organization depends on our keeping those promises. Inspector Gadgets really comes from from Rush with Love. Like the even Claw's voice is very similar to um, I can't remember the guy's name now who does the voice of Blofeld. Uh, er Eric, God, what was his name? Eric uh, Pullman, I think. German actor, I think it was. Yeah, Eric um, Pullman did the voice. Credited as question mark in the, yeah. in the end titles, which I loved. Um, yeah, um, Claw even sounds like him a little right. bit. Yeah, a little bit, and you never see Claw's face in the show. So just yeah. like you do in this movie, so you don't see Blofeld until uh, Your Eyes Only. I don't think Donald Pleasance. No, you don't. Uh, that's uh, you only live twice. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, how many movies away is that? That's three, three. movies away. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow! So is, is is he in it? Like is Blo the character in it rather in the, uh, in the other movies? Subsequent Blofeld. Movies? We don't see Blofeld as a character again until Thunderball, but we don't see his face until the following movie. You only yeah. live twice. Cool. So. Right. Yeah, and and uh, as far as the book goes, I mean, they did make there are there are differences between the book and the movie. They the ending was different. Uh, the ending of the film or the ending of the book is similar in that there is a fight between Kleb and Bond, but she, she wins, ends up she? <laughs> she wins. She kicks him yeah. with and poisons him, and it ends with him like passing out, and Whoa. that's like that's where it ends. It's a total cliffhanger. That's where the book ends? Yeah. Whoa, cool. <laughs> and I haven't read it in a long time. I don't remember what happens to her because I don't think, 
I don't think we see her again. Maybe we do. I, it's been a long time since I read the books. Um, I w- it's been a very long time for me as well. I want to say that Rosa Klebb gets like mentioned again. Yeah. Um, but Fleming moves to Spectre pretty soon thereafter anyway. Right, right. Um, and I think Irma Bunt is supposed to be like sort of a weird pseudo Rosa Klebb figure. Yep. yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so that ending is, I, I think, a really powerful ending for the novel. But this one is, you know, this one gets the the pretty standard Bond ending here. So, so that's changed. Uh, and like we talked about, it, we're still at Smirsh as the as the villainous group in the novels, uh, but it's yeah. Spectre for the films. And the uh, what else? The so in the books, they're they're Smirsh is going for revenge uh, because since Doctor No hasn't happened yet, they're going for revenge on Bond for his defeat of Lashif and Mr. Big and Drax. So, yeah. so multiple other villains that he's he's uh, knocked off. Are all those from separate books? Lashif is from mm-hmm. Casino Royale. Mr. Big's from Live and Let Die. And Hugo Drax is from Moonraker. Moonraker being an entirely 100% different yeah. than the movie. Like, okay. they, like, there's nothing in space in the Moonraker book. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hugo Drax's plan, if I remember, Moonraker is uh, he literally wants to blow up the moon, as I remember. Yeah, oh. yeah. Like cool. he, his his rocket is going to rake the moon, and uh, right. That's also it, there's the, the genesis of the whole thing in From Much with Love, where when Bond notices Red Grant orders red wine with fish, and well, you're obviously not a British spy, right? Um, <laughs> right. Isn't it Moonraker where M thinks that Hugo Drax is a villain because he cheats at cards? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Actually, the whole yeah the whole action of the book moonraker is when m brings in bond he's like hugo drax cheats at cards and is therefore a supervillain and we must stop him yeah <laughs> it's it's a really interesting book because you also get in that book you get a lot of the backstory and the kind of the the bond between bond and m in that one yeah um what else in this in the book for from rush with love grant <laughs> He is sort of activated by the full moon, so there's a there's a werewolf, a werewolf. thing going on. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which, as everyone who listens to this show knows, I- I'm now scared of Grant. So right, yeah, that makes you <laughs> automatically <laughs> scared. Yeah. Ian Fleming was 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 an odd duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an interesting life Ian Fleming led. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, but a lot of these characters you know, come from that, like he pulls a lot of these characters or at least names from, from his, uh, his background, you know, Grant was a, a Jamaican river guide that he had, he had known. He'd done an article uh, about a, a Colonel uh, in the Lenin political Academy that, that became Kleb and uh, you know, he had ridden on the Orient express. So combining all those things, pulling from all that as you know, good authors do. So kind of formulated the idea here mm-hmm. uh the fight between kleb and and bond at the end in the in the book takes place in in paris and in the film yeah. it's in venice so not a huge change there but uh yeah so i don't know those are really the major points that are that are different in the in the book the the, the act the general action is pretty much the same otherwise 
Uh, yeah, they're both really straightforward sort of spy get the MacGuffin stories mm-hmm. um, with your odd spy romance thrown in kind of like for lols almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so th- so they uh, this is the film they're going to go with. They double the budget. They've got a lot more money to work with. Um, so it's now a $2 million budget. So Ooh. yeah, a lot, yeah. lot of dough there. And uh, Sean Connery gets an extra hundred thousand, so that's a, a huge pay raise for him because I think he made I think like fifty four thousand on the first one, and then one hundred and fifty four on on this one. So, in fairness, a lot of that went to the hairpiece. So <laughs> I know uh. I always tried to track that. When does the hairpiece come in? I mean, did it exist know. already? Bald as a cue ball in sixty two. Is it really? Really? Yeah. Because huh. he's like underwater, you know, even in Thunderball, he's underwater with that piece and, yep. and it holds up really well. You, I, For me, I could always tell in, in uh, You Only Live Twice that like, oh, that hairstyle's different and then clearly different in Diamonds Are Forever. And then by then he's already doing other movies where he's revealed it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so they, you know, it's important for these guys. They want, really want to keep this creative team together. Uh, it's, you know, to keep this, you know, this whole thing flowing. They get Terrence Young to stay on. They get, um, they've got uh, John Barry is taking over as the composer. Ted Moore back as a cinematographer. But they do lose, as we mentioned earlier, Ken Adam. Uh, yeah. You can you can spot the Ken Adam Bond movies a mile away because. Mm-hmm. They've all, he's got a very particular look uh, with ginormous sets, like interior sets. Right. Yeah. The lair, like that's Ken Adam. Yeah. There's, there's no lair in From Russia with Love other than Blofeld's office, whatever that is, like wherever right. that it's is. The boat, the boat, it's office. A boat. And I've never seen a movie like, we're going to show you this is on a boat by having the camera rock back and forth like it's on a boat. Like yeah. you could have just shown us a window with water outside right. of it. If we would have understood. <laughs> exactly. So but when it, do when do we get him back? Ken Adams. He's in, Ken Adam uh, is back for Goldfinger. Yeah. Okay. And great. then he's on for I can't remember if he did Thunderball, uh, but he definitely does. You only live twice. I mean, which you know the Austin Powers movie calls back specifically to You Only Live Twice quite a bit. And that layer, you know, that layer, the volcano, that's that's from you only look yeah. twice. Okay. Can we, can we stick a pin in that? Because at the towards the end, I want to talk about Austin Powers a little. Oh bit. sure, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We should, we should, That's a good point. We should start pulling out the specific Austin Powers, uh, you know, connections. But um, so Sid Kane was the art director, who's uh, another legendary production designer. But he was the art director on Doctor No and gets the bump up uh, for this one. So. You know, you do get, uh, I think the sets are intricate and they're beautiful in this, but you don't have that Ken Adam enormous set piece. Yeah. So, which feels, that feels like traditional Bond to me. You know, that Ken Adam is a, is part of that, uh, of that DNA. I like that almost is like the Bond DNA as much as, as the character or as like sexism or anything else is, mm-hmm. is these giant, elaborate sets i mean i mean ken adam kind of events that for the whole like action adventure genre like uh oh yeah the nazi submarine base in raiders is very much a ken adam oh my god yes absolutely the death Death star is a ken adam thing and ken adam did uh oh yeah he did the spy who loved me and and i always felt like the the submarine stuff in raiders looked exactly like 
Mm-hmm. Exactly like Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and let's see, the, the title sequence, you've got Rab- Robert Brownjohn taking over from Maurice Binder on this one. Uh, Peter Hunt is the editor. He edited all the films through uh, when he leaves to direct on Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And then he's mm-hmm. sort of ousted from the franchise after that. But Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. This, is a, this is the only movie Binder doesn't do until Daniel Kleinman, 95, right? Correct. Yeah. Binner's back with uh, Goldfinger, I believe. Yeah. For and, the record, I, I like, you know, Kleinman's titles a lot more. Yeah. The, well, that's another, you know, so many mm-hmm. of the staples begin with this movie and, and the credit sequence is one of them. And it's, uh, they're certainly artistic and interesting, but I, I think I agree with you. I, yeah. I, I like they are artistic. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I said. That's a word. <laughs> Those babies are artistic. It's in his notes, artistic titles. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, unquote. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's go back to Peter Hunt for a second, because I think he's a really, really important person in setting the tone of these early Bond movies. I mean, he's making sort of these creative choices. I mean, he shuffles scenes around from the, the way they were scripted. Like the whole, those first scenes with Rosa Klebb, uh, take place in an entirely different order, which didn't really make sense. And he reshuffles them so that there's more of a through line of what her her angle is and, and what her, like, I'm going to do this and then do this and then do this. So uh, it's an important part in setting the tone for this movie, for sure. But, uh, uh, you know, a key player, I, I think almost as important as, as Terrence Young was. Yeah, you guys talked on the Dr. No Show about how the way these movies are edited um, and that's one of the things that makes them stand out is that these movies are cut like nothing else that's coming out back then. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and again, it's kind of a case where it sort of sets the tone for so many things that come after it. Um, well, it's really like creating the action genre here. Yeah. I mean, the, the fight scene in the train at the end, which was which was widely regarded as like one of the best fight scenes ever filmed. Um a fight scene, and, and you guys know this, is, is really just choreography and editing. And the choreography is kind of the easy part. Mm-hmm. And the, the way, the, the way that I'm watching it again today, I'm like, okay, this still holds up really, really well. Yeah, and it's a great so, sequence. So much of that is, is, and for a lot of folks, sort of the subconscious way that movies are different is the way they're edited. And what they do in the relatively few action sequences in this movie um, are really singular at the time well you can make an entirely different movie in post i mean you yeah. you really can and obviously <laughs> we were we were talking about the predator earlier <laughs> that's a movie that <laughs> yeah. is entirely different and and there's so many uh that you can change them for the better or worse and studios will come in and re- have another editor recut films if they don't like it uh a lot of times so yeah this is uh and this is I think Peter Hunt, I don't know if he's recognized as much for, for really starting the action genre for what it would become in the eighties and, uh, and the pacing of it and how to cut these, you know, these sequences together because they, you really didn't have elaborate action sequences very much before bond, right. Before 62. Uh, the only real, like what you would call a sort of modern action movie before that, uh, the train, 1960, John Frankenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite movies, great movie. I definitely, Dave, made you watch that at some Part, point. 
Probably. in the year 1999 with uh, Burt Lancaster. Um, it's basically Die Hard on a train in World War II. Um, yeah. Frankenheimer I... was doing it a little bit, but no, I mean, Peter Hunt and, and Terrence Young, and, and then to extent Guy Hamilton a little later, really kind of invent the language of, of actions, adventure cinema. Yeah. And and Guy Hamilton coming in has the benefit of following up Terrence Young and yeah. seeing what they did. And like, okay, here's what we can do to like take it the next step. And then clearly Goldfinger is the uh, classic Bond for many people to this day, uh, yeah. but certainly up through uh, the, the Brosnan era. Goldfinger is is when they really become James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. It ha- it has everything. It's where most of these things start. Yeah. Uh, except the wacky pre credit sequence, um, which starts right. here. And I, <laughs> I forgot today. I'm like, wait, this scene makes no sense. Like, oh yeah, why, yeah. Why, why is the guy he's killing wearing a James Bond mask? Right. <laughs> Does that Why just make that? him as good as James Bond? Apparently, like, <laughs> you, you would o- you would only have that guy wearing a James Bond mask if you were making a movie and trying to convince people it was James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certain things you can't. You don't want to question the logic of why these things are happening in Bond movies. You yeah, know? and but, and uh, Walter Gotell, who later went to play General Gogol in I think four movies. Yeah, as as the, as the the warden of Specter Island. I had forgotten about Specter Island, right. and now I like want to write that spinoff series. <laughs> um, when the mask came off, I, the, I just choked. Yeah. That would be so great. It, it would. Yeah. It, let's do that. Right. The, it's like uh, Cobra Island. The uh, mask that gets ripped off the dead guy, um, that dead guy looks absolutely like Thomas Lennon. Uh, from <laughs> it was. It's his dad. He, he just, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was him. I, I was absolutely convinced. Well, they, and they, they reshot that. So originally they had another actor in there. And when they, that was one of the last things they reshot right before the movie comes out. Yeah. The guy looked apparently very much like Sean Connery. So they went back and redid that and just made sure a guy had a standout mustache. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know it's that's not actually Connery. Okay. Was it me or does, before the unmasking, does Connery look a little weird there, like they're trying to telegraph? Oh, maybe it's kind of not actually James Bond because right. it's like his face is a little funnily shaped. And everything. Well, he's he's very he's very pale. He's very, clearly yeah. they've got the the powdery white powdery makeup on him, extra heavy. And I think yeah, it's a, it's a it's a little clue that what you're seeing isn't real. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like I, I like the element of that for a moment of like, whoa, did they just actually kill James Bond in the opening sequence? <laughs> he's just he's re- he's going to be replaced by a new person. Yeah, like a new 007. Right. And then, Barry, and then Barry, Barry Waltham, right? <laughs> Barry, the new, the new 007. Uh, yeah, and, th- and then they go back on that, you know, just as quickly that you you realize, uh, oh, this is why he looked a little off, and of yeah. course Connery is the star of this movie. So, and that starts the weird Red Grant's weird obsession with taking on and putting on gloves. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's clearly got some. Uh, he's a quirky fella. That, yeah, that Grant. He has, he has glove issues. <laughs> uh, but we do, you know. I, I just going back to what you said. There are some other Bondisms that that kickstart in this one. You know, you mentioned the pre-title sequence, but we do get the introduction of Blofeld. This is the yep. first time we see gadgets introduced uh, with the briefcase. You know, they're not as fancy, but this is. He does get, we meet Q, really, I mean, you meet Q, 
Major Boothroyd and Dr. No. Uh, yeah. But but this is Desmond Llewellyn, and this is the first time we'll see what is the longest running actor in the Bond franchise. And they, they bring in Desmond because the actor who played Major Boothroyd was not available, I think. Yeah, what a win. Wow. Q branch has put together a smart looking piece of luggage for us. We're issuing this to all double O personnel. An ordinary black leather case with 20 rounds of ammunition here and here. But yeah, we get the briefcase and it's got all the, you know, the gadgets inside the briefcase. So it's only one thing uh, and he uses them almost all at once, right? Doesn't he use them all in the train scene? All in the same scene, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, Grant's a tough guy, so. Uh, this is the first time we see helicopters introduced into Bond, trains. We'll go back to trains multiple times, uh, at least a handful. And this is the first uh, theme song because Dr. No, you know, there was no, unless David, you, you have a particular Dr. No theme song that you've recorded, there is no... no uh, Dr. No song with that in the title. So it starts right. with From Russia With Love. Okay, got it. And the little note at the end that Bond will return in the next film. So right. that telegraphing, which I yeah. did they do that in all the Bond movies? Yeah, think, they, they didn't always name them. Right. Um, but James Bond will return. Idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, up and through, through, I believe most of the Roger Moore ones, it was James Bond will return in. And then as they started running out of Ian Fleming titles, mm -hmm. uh, I think they changed it to just James Bond will return. Right. Uh, I remember when me and my dad would see Goldeneye, like making him wait for the credits so I could sit there and see James Bond will return. Like, yeah. All right. right. Now, we're, now we're good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the script is written by uh, multiple people. Well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what you, you want to get into that? <laughs> I mean, there's two credited writers on mm -hmm. this. Um, Johanna Haywood, as I recall, and, uh, Richard yeah, yeah. and Richard Maybaum. Maybaum was credited, I think, on all of the first like 15 or 16 movies. Right. Um, but this, even if I didn't know it, like watching it, you can go, a lot of people wrote this movie. Um, and apparently everybody and their brother did a draft on this and things were rewritten on the fly. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned... Uh, Rosa Klebb, like Lada Lenya's, all of her scenes had to be reshot um, towards the end of production because they her, her story got completely changed between drafts. Right. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's this is like one of the original. Like, hey, we've got like twelve writers on this picture. <laughs> everyone, everyone, is it? Did, were they out of ideas, or did everybody just like? Is it? Was it hard to like? What? What? Did people? The studio so reading, not happening. Reading about it today. It sounds like Richard Maybaum was kind of a control freak who was really in with the broccolis and so got his way a lot and just took stuff from other people's drafts and used it and kind of just stuck with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I know Joanna Harwood or hey, what, what, yeah, Har Harwood, Harwood, yeah, Harwood. Uh, did the, well, well, she was credited with, with doing the transition from the book to the, to the script format. And then Terrence Young wanted to just up and change, you know, a lot to that isn't in the book. So she left after that. She yeah. had a problem. And because Maybaum was stealing her material. Right. And Maybaum is like the Bond writer. And he's also the guy that just stays on yeah. during production. So he's the guy doing script cleanup while it's being shot. And of course, you know, they're coming up with ideas and they're changing things and they're tweaking this. And it 
uh, you're going to run into problems when you do that. And that's, I think, a very common thing with action movies uh, that you run into those sequences that, you know, directors have new ideas the morning of you're going to shoot this one, you know, part of the car chase and you want to change this. So, you know, that, I think that's fairly common for action. It's, um, yeah, like I said, Len Dayton did an early draft of it, maybe the first draft, if I remember from what I read. Um, this movie has the original uh, egregious, unnecessary chase scene at the end with the boats. Yeah. Um, later perfected in, in John Woo's face-off, but this is, a, again, sort of like the trope originator here. And it's like, if, if you don't have Connery, who, for, for his limitations, is still really good at the things he's really good at, and it just kind of oozes off the screen, like, if Bond isn't so singular a character... I, I think this movie, like it, as written, could have very easily gone off the rails. Oh yeah, and and, and Connery and, and Robert Shaw as well, just really kind of hold the movie together through sheer will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the rest of the cast in a second. But yeah, what didn't they? They so they added the speedboat chase, but they also added the helicopter chase, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I, this is apparently there's a helicopter scene in every James Bond movie after this. They love helicopters. I, love I never them. somehow realized that. A helicopter, yeah. I, I think just off the top of my head, I, I think there is a helicopter in pretty much every Bond movie. Yeah. Whether he's in it or the villains in it, or you know, it, it's it's got a presence. If if you don't have the helicopter or the the boats, you don't really have a good exciting ending to the movie. Then they decided to throw both of them in there, which was cool. <laughs> I think, yeah, like... well, I, I agree. I mean, I think that is a, a, a positive change from the book. I mean, you've got the train sequence, which is great. I, I love yeah, I mean, love that fight. Yeah. Very but you, you want the excitement on top of that. You still got other villains out there and, and the chase is sort of still on. They wouldn't give up necessarily that easy. And for a book, that's fine. But when you're watching a movie... You know, it's it was great to have that, you know, another one-two punch right after that. Yeah. But they also added, you know, the whole Istanbul sequence with Karim Bey. Grant was not originally in that. So they added him to all of those scenes and added that whole element of, of Grant shadowing Bond and, you know, basically protecting him, keeping him alive. Was that like a story thing or did we realize that, hey, the villain of our piece isn't in the movie ever? Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Probably a little both. It's I, watching it again. Like I love Shaw's performance in this. We can talk about when we get to that. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about it right now. Yeah, he, he does so much, not with so little, but by doing so little. Like it, it is one of the great like minimalist performances, not in Bond and like anything. Like he doesn't have, he only has a couple lines in the whole movie, doesn't he? Yeah, but he has such a presence. I mean, he, he, he's intimidating. I, he's one of my favorite villains just because he's, yeah. he looks like a maniac. Like he, I would not want to be in a <laughs> dark Robert alley Shaw. with that he, guy. He is. Yeah, yeah right. And well, he funny. was. Go ahead, David. I was going to say, just because he's he's basically on screen by himself for the most part for most of the movie. I thought this guy was I I I don't know. I forgot how tall Robert Shaw was, and I'm like, oh my god, he's like six six, and he's just gigantic. And then he's like, he's kind of shorter than Sean Connery. Like by the time they meet, yeah. <laughs> well, he's silent for so much yeah. of the of the movie. It's really just the end where he where he starts talking. Yeah, we don't hear his voice until he talks to Bond. My orders are to kill you and deliver the lecture. Oh, I do. It's my business. 
It'll be slow and painful. How much are they paying you? What's it to you? We'll double it. The first one won't kill you. Not the second. Not even the third. Not till you crawl over here and you kiss my foot. This is really the beginning of the the start of stardom for for Robert Shaw. He yeah. had just really transitioned from being a he was a playwright, I think, and then switched over to acting. And he was in, I think, the Royal Shakespeare Company in the late forties, and uh, switched over. And uh, his best roles would start with this and come afterwards: Man for All Seasons and The Sting, and of course Jaws and and Jaws, which we covered here on Reconsideration. Check it out in the archives, www.reconsidimation.com. It's our one. That's it's currently our number two download. Have you guys done the sting? No, it's on the list. Yeah, I, that, that, I, I love that movie. Just um, and again, like I said, it, so much of it is now what we know about like the off-screen life of Robert Shaw. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, who was Robert Shaw was like Oliver Reed before Oliver Reed was Oliver Reed right. and, and Oliver Reed then perfected being that person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, just, it's crazy that we lost him, you know, so young. I mean, he died before, before I was born, he died in 78, I think. And he was 50 years old. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. a lot of city miles on Robert Shaw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He lived miles. a life. Uh, of course, you know, Sean Connery is now a major star here, so he's under a, a five-picture deal. So he is he is committed to Bond for a while, which would, you know, you, you can read a lot of interviews with him where he talks about his mixed feelings about, you know, loving and hating being Bond. And I, I, I can see it. I don't, I don't uh, necessarily blame him, but it's, and after that, it's like, you, you got to know what you're signing up for if you're going to play James Bond. I think, and this happened even with, with Daniel Craig, uh, a, a lot of guys don't know how physical the job is. Um, even in a world with, with stunt doubles on stuff, you get, you got to do a lot of work oh, on yeah. these movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, Roger Moore didn't. Roger Moore, I think, was 53 when he was cast. Yeah. Well, Roger uh, Moore was up for Dr. No. Yeah. All right. Um, and we would not have had the film series we had if you if you cast Roger Moore in, in Doctor No. I don't. No, I'm, no. They they. It was really for the time. It was perfect casting. It's, I mean, Connery I always, like is, is so is this character. Yeah. Um. It's it's tough for me at least to separate like not James Bond, but this iteration of James Bond from Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Like to to think of him as not James Bond because yeah if you look at it, Sean Connery doesn't do a whole lot between here and like last crusade that's well good yeah he's uh, he's his his uh period in the 1970s is very very interesting I, I would say that the uh the man who would be king is one of his better ones that's a post bond film but there's, I mean, then you got Zardoz. Zardoz. Like, yes, whoa. Zardoz. Like, we got to do that movie here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, and then, I like I, him I think, in Time Bandits, which is not a movie I like very much. Yeah. But he's he's very Sean Connery. Yeah. Well, then it's really the Untouchables. And, yeah. and 
dare I say Highlander. <laughs> that uh... Highlander or Highlander Two? Both. <laughs> yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, there are movies that the show should do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We've talked yeah. about it. With Highland, yeah. The Highlander yeah. stuff well, is like, like being debated. casting him in the Untouchables. Uh, I'm reading is, is like kind of a joke at the time. Like, oh yeah. Are like this is a real part. Why are you putting Sean Connery in it? Absolutely. And, and, and oh wow. De Palma's like, trust me, I got this. And it's yeah. you know, maybe the only thing you could ever trust Brian De Palma about. <laughs> yeah, and that, that ends up being his huge comeback and really yeah. just cemented with The Last Crusade, you know, takes him, even though he's technically a supporting character in Last Crusade, he just takes over that movie when he's when he's on screen. So that really boosts him back up to like, okay, I don't have to support. Kevin Costner or Harrison Ford, I'm a you know I can I can carry a movie on my own still. Yeah, and I think and that and Last Crusade I think just gives a whole new generation exposure to Sean Connery at his absolute best. Like it was like oh this guy's great. Like where you know we did our Sean Connery tribute episode uh, with Brent and we all came off like our favorite Sean Connery thing ever was Last Crusade mm-hmm. and, uh, from which I did not expect us to all agree uh, agree yeah. on. No, that that's for me too. Um, yeah, I can recite the entire screenplay of that movie from memory. Well, yeah, and with that movie, we talked about how you know you don't think of Sean Connery with comedy, but he's great at it. Those little comic notes in Last Crusade, it's it, he's really funny in that. Yeah, but that's you probably know, his only real, well done, semi comedic role. Like anything, if he's playing it straight, like you know. It, it works, you know. He's not trying. He's not hamming it up for the for the camera, like right. James Bond's one-liners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where like after the helicopter explodes, it's like what? The line isn't even funny in anyone's mouth. Like it looks like they're missing an <laughs> missing aircraft. An aircraft. I, what the fuck? That's not even. That's not even. Just don't say anything. <laughs> is that like a really topical like SNL style joke from 1963 that I, only makes sense like maybe, the week maybe, it comes out? Yeah, were it planes was. disappearing back then, maybe, or something? Like, it was, there, was an, there was some kind of inside reference there. There has to be, right? Yeah, but... So, doesn't play in now. 2020. <laughs> uh, I, I always, you know, as I was going through high school and during the Brosnan era, I really wanted to see Connery return as the villain, as the, like, James Bond supervillain, which they did in... Well, he did in the in Avengers. The Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Oh, and maybe that's why they didn't do it. But uh-huh. I thought you could, you know, you could, I don't know. I always thought you could do some kind of interesting story, which I guess was partially the Goldeneye storyline of an agent who, well, I guess not just Goldeneye, but it's also Skyfall of an agent Skyfall, yeah. who has is very bitter and very angry about you know whatever's happened to him and has turned on on uh, MI6 and you know it would be interesting if it's connery because yeah he's not james bond but you could buy him as the as a former agent because he was the iconic james bond i don't know i'm sure that they felt like you just can't do that because connery is bond well it's 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 kind of a a a classic trope of like long running stories that eventually uh, your heroes meet their evil twin Mm -hmm. you know um and and red grant is kind of a, a very almost early version of that because the movie uh, uh, plays him as this kind of like anti-bond like he, he's he wears the nice suits and he's really fit and he you know dispatches people with with elan and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um 
And then when you had that scene when they meet and you realize, oh, wait, he's just crazy. Um, yeah. That's, that was, uh, when it was pointed out to me that Silva was supposed to be that in Skyfall, I, I intensely disliked that movie a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had never sort of realized that, 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 that Red Grant was positioned that way. And I mean, you see, the, my, my favorite is, is Owen Shaw in Fast and Furious 6, the evil Dom Toretto. Oh. <laughs> I have not had the privilege. Yeah, I have not I, either. I unironically love Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> like straight, not even a joke. That I absolutely love these movies, except two. Two's awful. Yeah. Oh. I have many friends that that swear by them. That absolutely love them. So we meet in this movie. We also meet, uh, or we see Bernard Lee back as M and Lois Maxwell back as Money Penny, and of course we complete that uh the team with adding desmond llewellyn as q yeah uh we also have anthony dawson is back even though he his character of professor dent was killed in dr no he's actually playing uh he's playing physically playing blofeld so he's the hands and the head Ah. that you see over the chair i see and he actually uh when daniela bianchi uh auditions as top for tatiana she auditions with Anthony Anthony Dawson, oh. and then Connery is the kind of that gives the final say. I guess yeah, uh, Daniela was a Miss Universe. Uh, uh, she was in the finals of Miss Universe 1960, and it was down to her and two other people for that role. And and Connery was the deciding choice, so he got to weigh in and choose her. Nice. Um, I never knew her dialogue was all dubbed. Uh, I knew that today. the very first time I saw I'd, it. Well, <laughs> so can we spend a minute talking about all the weird ADR problems in this movie? Oh, yeah. It's uh... like it's from the first scene. I'm like, no, this isn't even close. Like, mm-hmm. what are you what are you guys doing? And it, it keeps coming up. And I'm like, how do like I know that looping was invented before 1963, mm-hmm. but it's it's so you don't often notice bad ADR. Yeah. Like the yeah. way you keep noticing it in this, and that's so weird. Well, I think maybe because we're so accustomed to good, really good ADR, that it, sure. it's always stood out so much for us. I, I wonder if when this was released, it wasn't, it may not have, it sounds like it didn't bother people as much then. Well, this, this I forget if there's one in Dr. No, but this also movie, I believe, begins the James Bond series Love Affair with Day for Night. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. God. Yeah. The the first scene with Red Grant is actually, oh, I'm watching. It's like, oh, they actually shot this at night. What what an interesting concession for a James Bond movie. (laughs) Right. Um, But then they just, they they hit that all the time. And that's one of those things where I remember in in a film class, like, once you see that, you can never unsee it Mm -hmm, anywhere, anytime anybody does it. And James Bond movies do it all the time. Oh, great. So I have that to look forward to. So she's entirely voiced over. Was Lada Lenya was voiced over, right? Uh, she was voiced over, and Sylvia Trench was voiced over. Um, oh, really? Yeah, that one I didn't know. Yeah, uh, I don't think uh, uh, my knowledge of Lada Lenya is not what it used to be, um, mm-hmm. and that's actually a real thing. I used to because from uh, Free Penny and, and weird yeah. German expressionist theater. Um, but she sounds pretty much like what I would think she sounded like. Yeah, that one that one didn't bother me as much because I it just feels right. <laughs> I guess they yeah. matched the voice pretty well. 
I love how he put a gray wig on her in the last scene to cover up the bright red wig she's wearing for the right. rest of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she can't stand out. She's Double wig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but she was a, uh, a very famous singer at the time. Yes. Hmm. You're familiar with her background, John? Yeah, no, I said un- unjokingly my stuff about, about like weird European expressionist theater stuff. Yeah. Um, she was not like a crooner, but she was uh, a popular singer uh, in, in Europe and, and mostly German, I think. Yeah. Um, so like, it was like a Justin Timberlake. Is that? If Justin Timberlake was an Austrian woman in the 1930s, yes, very similar to Justin Timberlake. <laughs> That's all the um, only way I can. I need modern analogies <laughs> to understand what you're saying. I would, uh, I would say more like a, um, what's her face? Um, Sarah Barias. Oh, yeah. You know, someone who sings and occasionally acts. There you go. Okay. Um, like Josh Groban, only talented. Uh, oh, unfair to Josh Groban. <laughs> <laughs> really no um and, and she was another one who was who was I, if I remember chosen by connery right because he knew her or knew of her or something yeah. like that yep yeah and great choice because she was i mean yeah great villain she was one, yeah. of, one of the all-time villains of this series when with with very little screen time and not a whole lot to do yeah yeah if i you know one of these things i keep thinking about and i've been thinking about it since the golden eye video game came out that there's no reason they can't, I don't know why they can't make a massive James Bond video game that like goes through all the movies right and I would absolutely have her as one of the villains um well they they did make a game of for much with love uh yeah 10 15 years ago I never yes. played it oh let, think... we'll we'll talk about that because I okay. did, so I could have sworn there was a game that did that that had a bunch of like historics. Well, go- Goldeneye had a few of them, like yeah. it had it had four or five. But I don't. Did the world's not enough game have like flashback scenes or something? Maybe it did. Sworn. Maybe it did. But like, I would want like you go through Doctor No, or you pick out certain set pieces that you go through Doctor No. You go through from Russia with Love, like you do. They they can they should all have a video game. Mm. Well, I think I think the rights issue with Kevin McClory, which doesn't get cleared up until like two thousand ten or something like yeah. that. Probably, probably precludes yeah. that but now yeah. i mean now you could absolutely do that yeah yeah that's what i mean now like put the money into it and people i'm sure people will go for it oh yeah would you take a a, a take on mario kart where you're just a, bu- a bunch of uh heroes and villains from bond and then you just drive through various set pieces as the uh, those are the maps and the, sure. the tracks I'll take, I'll take... I, I would <laughs> i would pay hundreds of dollars for that <laughs> <laughs> Bondio cart, let's go. I, I would buy a PS5 just to play that. <laughs> Spider-Man, no. Bondio cart, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see who else we've got. We've got uh, Vladik Shabal who plays Kronstein. Of course, we would see him again in Red Dawn, which we're definitely oh, covering yeah. this. Year. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I always love Kronstein. Yeah, Kronstein's Kronstein is a great like side villain. Because he's only uh, who, in a couple of scenes, right? He's like only two or three yeah. scenes. Who yeah. clearly would have been played by Peter Lorre twenty years before that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. uh, let's see. We've got uh, Sylvia Trench also returns. That's not the actress's name, but the I think Eunice Grayson is her name. Yeah. Uh, yeah Gason. So, Gason. Yeah. Uh, that was one early idea was that Sylvia was going to be Bond's girlfriend, and she was going to. 
continue through the movies where basically this happens every time that they <laughs> get interrupted and you know i mean i guess they do consummate it but uh they you know you don't really see her other than a scene or two so but that ends here with from russia with love ah uh-huh. Uh, we see Walter Gotell in an early role. He would he would be in every Bond between was it the Spy Who Loved Me and License to Kill? Or is it Living Daylights? Uh, Gogo last appears in Living Daylights. Living yeah. Daylights, yeah. So he's another long running actor, part of the part of the team later on. Yeah. Uh, Martine Beswick is one of the uh, the Gypsy Camp girls in that that fight <laughs> uh, that she, whole thing yeah she auditioned for dr no didn't get it uh got this role and then we'd see her again as a separate character in thunderball hmm. and then we've got uh pedro armendariz yeah yeah that i uh, never knew his story until i read about it today Holy oh really crap. yeah 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 very tragic story here who plays uh karen bay who is the uh in the istanbul wing of the of mi6 so he's you know bond meets these contacts in a lot of these cities that he's in uh and they partner up obviously but uh during production he was just really feeling not right and that something was wrong and got checked out and it turns out he had inoperable cancer i'm not sure where the cancer was or stomach cancer yeah that uh he you know had to deal with it so they and they they knew he was gonna probably go pretty fast so they reshuffled the shooting schedule and pulled up all of his scenes to shoot him out of the movie and you can see in certain scenes like he's leaning on connery and he's being held up yeah. or it's a double and when you know what was going on you can really see it uh oh, wow but a pretty memorable character uh that uh stands out but sadly after the movie was filmed uh they started filming this in april they shot this movie april through august of 63 uh he ended up committing suicide in june of 63 yeah, he finished a, his scenes yeah finished his scenes and did all his ADR and all his dialogue and made sure that they had everything they needed. And then he, he committed suicide at, uh, I think UCLA health center. Wow. Yeah. And I never knew any of that until today. And it was like, Oh wow. That's, that's, that's awful. Yeah. It's, it's very sad, sad story, but we would see his son uh, makes an appearance in license to kill. So really who has what's that? Who as as who? He's the uh, president of the country that Franz is uh, in control of. Ah, you, yeah. you're only president for life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's Pedro Armendariz Jr. Right. Uh, so let's see. So yeah, they shot the movie in in. I mean, this was a very fast production and a very <laughs> troubled production. There was a lot that went wrong uh, during the filming here. One of which there's multiple accidents on set. So they most of the <laughs> movie is filmed in Turkey. And when they went over budget and over schedule, like so many of these movies do, they had to move. They moved the boat chase to Scotland. Ah. So I, I think the helicopter chase and the boat chase, I believe, are both the, in Scotland. The helicopter chase is 100 percent 
the UK. Like I'm yeah. watching this, I'm like, this does not look remotely like anywhere <laughs> yeah. in, in Italy or Yugoslavia. This is clearly Scotland. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the boat chase, so they're, they're filming that one morning when uh, Terrence Young and the art director are up in this uh, helicopter, or sorry, not the art director, and one of the cameramen are, are up in the helicopter and they hit, I think they hit a wind pocket or something. And the helicopter went right down in the water. Helicopter crashes. Sinks. Yeah. Like very quickly, it's 50 feet below the surface. Yeah. And, but they, the divers were right there and they got all three of them out. Holy and, shit. and they were shooting like 35 minutes later. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Helicopter crash. In you, don't, you don't stop for the day. <laughs> no. Just, just keep going. <laughs> and it, it's incredible. I mean, Terrence Young obviously is sort of like the father of the uh, one of the fathers of the Bond film franchise. And, uh, you know, we talked about in Dr. No about how he, he was part part of him was James Bond. So yeah. a lot of what Connery got was from him and such a strong part of the, the setup of this. And but it's incredible that this guy got right out of the water took a half hour and then was ready to shoot. And they shot a full day after that. Nice. That's great. Well done. Like that is like legit. Keep calm and carry on stuff there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God. Uh, And then Daniela Bianchi got in a car crash. Uh, Her driver crashed, uh, fell asleep. I think he fell asleep at the wheel on the way to set one day. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So on top of the like usual script changes that we talked about and the adjustments and going over and not getting, uh, not getting what you need every day, you've got these other elements happening. And then Pedro's uh, health situation and you're reshuffling the whole schedule because of that. Um, they're missing stuff. And, and Peter Hunt is cutting this movie together, you know, like editors do, but this is on a very tight time frame. The contract that uh, we haven't even talked about Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, the, the other fathers of the franchise, the yeah. producers of the film. But they signed a contract with United Artists that this would they would release one Bond movie every year. So they have to get this movie shot, cut, and in theaters like in less than a year. Yeah. And, which is, you could never do that with these days with a movie of this scale. You would, you'd have to do them back to back, like, you know, Peter Jackson style or Back to the Future or whatever. Right, right. You take a longer shooting period so you can just boom, 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 pop them out. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, you know, Hunt is giving notes about, uh, you know, to Terrence Young about, okay, this is cutting together. This is what you're missing. You've got to go back and get this. So they move a whole bunch of stuff to Pinewood at the end. Uh, the explosion part of the boat chase ends up all being done at Pinewood. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that whole, you know, you can tell the shots where they're out in the open air and then those tighter shots, which is where everything's like blowing up. They can control the fire and the flames like we're all where Walter Gotell is and his guys are getting lit on fire. and They jump in the water. Those are all done at Pinewood. Wow. Well, this is another James Bond movie that loves like crappy rear projection stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tons of that. Because yeah. they, they had matte paintings back then, didn't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> just they just I guess they just didn't use them, and like the rear projection is not even trying in a lot of these scenes. Yeah the uh, the 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 finale the, the last scene where yes. they're on the boat is <laughs> oh, whoa yeah. like oh my yeah. god. Well, like when they when they're on the boat and he's he's recording her, um, and there's like medium shots where it looks really good, but then there's a 
there's a close-up of connery and it looks like absolute garbage <laughs> like it's i mean it's just tra- like because otherwise it kind of looks pretty it looks really good um it's so like, watch what's that the filming thing we the the scene i read this today with uh the rats under istanbul yeah like even watching it i'm like there's some weird film grain issues going on here and mm-hmm. it's because they they couldn't shoot the rats in turkey so they had to get different rats in another country that they tried dyeing with cocoa powder and yep. that didn't work oh yeah. my god well they just like <laughs> they like licked and ate the powder off so yeah. back to white rats again. yeah <laughs> so that's like there's these weird rat inserts are clearly like weird inserts yeah. that weren't shot on this in the same country yeah that's it's not in a lot of ways it's not the smoothest film at all you know yeah. it, it, it starts I would say even Goldfinger isn't that smooth either because it also has some of these rear projection things. But starting with Thunderball, they start to kind of work that stuff out. And certainly by the time you get to Roger Moore, yeah. um, it feels much more put clean and put together. And But as far as matte paintings go, I, I feel like this is kind of early days a little bit for matte paintings. I mean, they were there, but not as commonly used as the projection was. Yeah. I think part of it is just like you said that Dr. No got made for what a million dollars and even in 1962 dollars that's still only like what, 15 20 million maybe mm-hmm. less than that right um so th- these were uh, until until Thunderball really these these were were movies made on the cheap yeah um yeah and, and then, you can you can feel it yeah well and Goldfinger's outrageous success is when we finally oh we can actually you know spend a couple bucks on these things right and then with Thunderball they 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 hilariously go overboard yeah and you know it's gonna be really fun and expensive shooting a whole movie underwater yeah let's let's do it (laughs) I keep forgetting I'm sorry Dave hasn't seen some of these things so I know I I haven't seen any Sean Connery movies or Roger Moore movies so Uh, I'm going in order of the, of the release right, good cool. i think that's a, i think that's that's good and and we'll be doing this podcast for the next 75 years so, <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll finish only 23 movies to go Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um all right so how do you guys feel about the uh the sexuality in the film let's start with the little lesbian subplot between uh kleb and tatiana uh um, yeah, I mean, Cleb clearly in a position of power and with she, she, it, it, I mean, and Tatiana's uh, reaction to Cleb's, you know, direction to take off her jacket, turn around t- and she touches her thigh like very, you could easily put any male character from a thousand movies in Cleb uh, in Cleb's position and the, f- the or fact real she, life or well, yeah, yeah but yeah, but like. It's. It was. I, I don't know if this was very different for something you'd see on screen, but having Cleb in that position of power and um, with her sexuality as part of the part of the play uh, uh, between them, um, I thought that was uh, fascinating. Um, even though, of course, it's uh, a kind of uh, disturbing in a, in a lot of ways <laughs> in terms of the power and the you know yeah and that kind of thing. But uh, I, don't I think remember. You- yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Jack. I remembered like going into the movie like, oh, and there's this weird homosexual sort of subtext supposedly between Rosa Klebb and Tatiana. And I'm like, it's probably nothing. It's probably an invention of like, you know, ex post facto film credits. And I'm watching it I'm like, oh, no, that's a that is definitely a thing. It is right there. And that's it's, it's very sort of bold for 1963, the yeah. way it's presented. Very. I mean, you didn't see that at all. 
Yeah. They might as well have just gone off and, and seen the cut to them smoking a cigarette later. Right. <laughs> but they were never together, right? I mean, is it implied that they, they had to, she had to get with Kleb to, to like, uh, what, you know? That I, happen, I, right? I don't I, think that they did. No. But you could, you could, I, I mean, you could convince yourself too that they did, yeah, probably. Like, like, contextually, that scene with like the way you talk about it, Dave. That's like the 1963 equivalent of like the pool scene from Wild Things. Right, right. I know. I get. Yeah. It's. But I. But like, she's not like Tatiana's not not into it at all. Uh, she seems very uncomfortable. Right. Like she shies not, away from it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, well, it seems. That's that line that she has early when 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 Rosa Klebb says her loyalty to the state is unquestionable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay, good point. Interesting. Hmm. So, I so I guess, yeah. I watched this movie again recently with my kids. We went through the whole Bond franchise. And when we got to this one, well, part of what stood out about all the Bond movies with them, and I always, I always like to hear their perspective on, especially some of these older films, because they will not see it from the same point of view that, that our generation did. But all the sexism was like really stood out to them and like they don't like a lot of the bond movies specifically the connery ones because of, of how like women are portrayed and treated in there uh you know one of the i think one of the i guess one of the i i don't know i guess it's not really a positive thing but you've got a a, a female being the villain but of course a female is a villain so that's kind of a positive that you know she's got an important leading role but it's as a villain, of course. Sure. That doesn't happen again until... Uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service was Rebun one. Yeah. But then, yeah, then, not then so Goldeneye. Yeah. Right. Well, what I noted about the character, Tatiana, I mean, her name is full of T's and A's. Yeah, uh, there you, know, you go. So it's just... Uh, it's just... Uh, it's telegraphing the, the stuff that's part of this, that's ingrained in these... Sean Connery movies. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he slaps her around. Um, mm -hmm. I think he does. He slap her on the butt once or something. Yeah, I think so. And then they absolutely hated the Bond and Money Penny storyline. Oh man, the Money Penny! <laughs> I haven't seen an old school Money Penny scene in a long time. Yeah, and I'm watching this today, going. Oh no! Oh no! 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 This is not no. This, <laughs> yeah. No, this is so bad. Well, yeah. Doctor No seems a little more seems worse though. Is that or is that not? I don't know. Maybe they're a little more flirty and back and forth on that one. They're I all. Know. I mean, they're all pretty similar because yeah, you yeah there's, just, not, there's not a whole lot of variance there in your average money penny scene. Yeah, I think there's a couple where they get like they get really close, you know, or the, the, the verb, the dialogue is like a little bit more naughty, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it, that's part of what is tough to watch. And, and when I say watching these for nostalgia purposes, that's what I, this is one of the things I mean that, that you, it's like, you can't stomach this stuff. Now you can only like view it like, Oh, this was part of this. This was a, a, a picture of what it was like back then. Wait, wait till you get to live and let die. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Um, All the Roger Moore ones, really. Yeah. So much. So much of what we sort of associate as James Bond movies, um, 
especially starting with for much with love and, and through like i mean really until you get to casino royale there's so many obligatory things in these movies and like you have to have the the oddly contentious scene with m and then you which is bookended by the creepy flirty scene with money penny and like finally when we start to actually redo this franchise you know campbell and Haggis are like, no, we're just not doing. We're just not doing this. Yeah, this this stuff does not work. We're getting rid of it. And right. then, of course, who brings it back? Sam Mendes, my nemesis. But <laughs> what can you do? Um, and no, but like, I'm trying to remember. Is there? There's a money penny scene in Doctor No, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where I, it, it feels like, okay, well, we'll do it again now because you know. We like Lois Maxwell. Let's have her come in for a week or whatever. And then they, the movies get stuck in this thing of we have to do this every time. Oh, yeah. Right. right. Every time. And a, a lot of that, not just Money Penny, a lot of that sort of the, the quote stuff we have to do is, is what makes it both hard to, not hard to watch these movies later on, but there's a lot of kind of groaning stuff in them. Yeah. Um, and it also contributes to the, the sort of bland sameness of a lot of them. Between like, for your eyes, for uh, between you only live twice and like, Dalton basically. Well, yeah, I mean specifically with M, and Money Penny. I mean Q. At least you get you you. It's different because you get new gadgets each movie, yeah. and, and it's a get... contentious relationship. Exactly, yeah. But with M and Money Penny, there you really don't get any sense of. There's no characters there. They're just yeah. They're beats in the movie. So like you like you said, we have to have like this is your mission. Uh, with with them and then the flirty scenes with Money Penny, but you know nothing about their background or who they are. You don't ever see them, or very rarely see them outside of those. Um, you yeah. do. You start to a couple of times you see them sort of out and about, but they're with Bond. Yeah, the only hint is in this movie when the, they're playing the recording that Bond makes of her on the ferry. And he's like, well, this one time, me and M in Tokyo, and M's like, no, 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 no. We're, 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 right. And he, he makes money, Penny leave the room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's part of what I really loved about the book so much is you get that you do get that uh, the the depth of his friendship with M, and that it's it is it kind of has evolved more than just boss and employee. Yeah, that they have like, spent personal time together. Yeah, in these movies, uh, until Judy Dench, like. You, you get, M is like almost like a sitcom wacky boss. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. like, Hey, you know, it's fun to watch Bernard Lee for four or five minutes, but it, it, it can't have been super satisfying for him to do the same scene like every other year for a yeah. week over and over and over again. I hope he got paid well. I, I well, yeah, hope so. Who, who knows though, back then. Yeah. Well, that's why I liked when, J- like in this movie with Kareem Bay and uh, and then what's his face in Doctor No, uh, that he has like he's got a buddy and a friend kind of to to talk to and do stuff with, and who likes James Bond for just a person kind of, and they kind of they you know he's got an ally in each movie that isn't in his world necessarily. They're mm-hmm. like so I I, I I like that back and forth like um, so bec- that would have been nice to see something like that in characters you would see every movie, but. That seems that sounds so disappointing. You've got M and Moneypenny and Q people you could see over and over, and they're not they're not like you know buddies. <laughs> like yeah, that's, that's kind of a disappointment. Supporting character in a James Bond movie is never a good gig to begin with. 
you know, yeah. you're you're not doing. Uh, I I don't mean as an actor. I just mean like as the character. Like there's mm. there's so few you can even think of who are like real interesting characters. Yeah. Um, and part of like like Karen Bay is one of them. Partly because the performance is is much more alive and sort of yeah. more boisterous than your yeah. average James Bond supporting, uh, you know, James Bond's local, you know, MI6 buddy kind of guy. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's part of like what works against the Felix Leiter character is that, yeah, you do see him out in the world and a little bit without Bond, but he's always portrayed as being, you know, tricked and he's on the losing end of something. Oh, the the the, the guy who plays Felix in, in Goldfinger, aside, oh. aside from being like a thousand years old, yeah. Um he's he's like the 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 John Watson buffoonish sidekick like dialed up to eleven. <laughs> and it, it's uh. it's really tough. And said so, I mean said so, think about it, John, how many great supporting characters can you name from any of these movies? Uh, off the top of my head, none. I'd have John to Carlo go... Giannini, but that's not. But like the Daniel Craig ones, almost don't count. Right. I would think you know prior to that because it, with Daniel Craig, yeah. it's it becomes a whole different thing, and there's much more thought put into these characters, and yeah, you know, it's it, it's a it's a different deal. But you know, even through what Joe Don Baker in in the Brosnan ones, yeah. a little bit of kind of comic relief and Robin right. Coltrane, but. With Joe yeah. Don Baker, you know what you're getting. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, no, Robbie Coltrane. Okay, I, I will give you uh, Valentine, who I who I yeah. really because it's Robbie Coltrane. It's impossible to not like Robbie Coltrane. Um, but Valentine, it said, okay, fine. In 35 years, we yeah. came up with one. Right. I mean, look at in the first one, you've got uh, Felix, who looked cool but didn't do a lot, and then you know he's just kind of there. But <laughs> and then you've got. Uh, Oh God! Why did I just forget his name? The other sidekick in Doctor No on the yeah, Quarrel. Yeah. A Quarrel, yeah, yeah, Quarrel. yeah, Quarrel. You got Quarrel, who, um, you know, not much of a character there either, and then of course has a terrible fate. Hmm. But you, you see the potential, like, because like at least these characters, I, I just like the idea that James Bond and another character like like each other and work together, versus like the, it's not as transactional as every every other relationship of all these movies, like. Mm-hmm which is that's what it all is it's everybody you know i mean he's got a job to do this isn't about what how does james bond hang out <laughs> but yeah. it's nice to see like actual like interpersonal relationships um between characters because it uh in in either of these movies because there's not there's not room for it otherwise and, I mean, a, and a lot of the movies i think you don't even know the sidekick's name yeah they're just especially for, with these two this is before james bond movies became sort of paint by number affairs where a, a lot of like the bandwidth going into making, you know, whatever James Bond movie number 16 is, okay, who's our, you know, capital letters villain, who is our capital letters girl sidekick. And when you're just filling in these slots by really by, by fear eyes only almost um, with for much with love, you're like, no, okay. Karen Bay is a guy. He's not just the sidekick character. So there's, right. there's, there's a lot more work almost put into developing the character from the writing and the acting and the directing than well, later you, on. Yeah. I mean, you see his world and he explains what he does. Like you, you can get a sense of a backstory with him and a deeper character of what this guy's about. And you just don't get that with a lot of other ones. So that's, you know, that's something that works in the favor of this movie. Yeah. Totally. 
Yeah, no, Pedro Armendiz is Arderas is a is an asset to this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 one of the few Bond movies you can look at. And go, there's a whole bunch of great performances in this movie. You, you, you don't you don't often say that about these. Um, you'd be like, oh, so and so is a great villain, or so and so is a great female lead. Mm-hmm. But no, like there's people in this who just do really good work, and that that becomes unusual for a very long time in this series. Yeah, I, I think that's why this one. One of the reasons this one ranks up there for me. I mean, I want. Yeah, this is definitely top five for me. It probably probably settling in at like number four because of that. Because you've got a, two strong villains in in Lotta and Robert Shaw, and you've got Pedro there with a really good side character. I mean, he's not a sidekick, but he's you know, assisting Bond on the mission. Yeah. So, you know, and then you've got your great action, you know, some of the great action sequences. So um, I agree that the, the David, what you said earlier about the, the, the tone of the movie and the, the sort of middle portion just being really slow. And it does feel that way the more I watch it now. Yeah. But it, but by the end, if you can, you know, sticking through to the end. <laughs> it really ramps up. <laughs> yeah, it ramps back up and you forget all that. So yeah, yeah. Um, once that's he puts one, on a hat, I mean, it's... right, exactly. Once he's got the hat on, forget it. He's the, <laughs> he's the captain, baby. He's captain, captain Bond. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was uh, just, you know, kind of finalizing our discussion about how women are treated. I'm I'm keeping a kill count really? for the uh, exactly <laughs> the kill count for the franchise. I'm keeping a uh, a sexual encounters count as well. Wow. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has sex four times in Dr. No, and he has sex five times in this film with four different people. So mm-hmm. first he's got, he has sex with Sylvia Trench, mm-hmm. or you can assume that they do, right? You never yeah. see any of this stuff. Yeah. He's, he has a three-way with the, uh, with the gypsy camp uh, women. Does that count for one or two? I think it's, it's one act with two people. Okay. okay. So, yeah. One encounter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, and then he has sex with with Tatiana three times. Oh, because they're on the boat at the end. Yeah, in the the hotel, uh, yeah. the the train, and the boat. Yeah, yeah. All right. So there you we, go. So both two, movies end with him having sex on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure like 15 of 24 of these movies end with him having sex on a, on a boat, specifically on a boat. A moving boat. Um, <laughs> yeah, the end of tomorrow never dies. They have sex on a boat. Um, Thunderball, they're Thunderball. what like flying through the air and yeah, no, there's it. Uh, Spy will love me. That's the sex on a boat. Live twice. Is yeah, like the subtitle of a lot of these movies. Is the... man, man with the golden gun. They've what got wrong with too. these people? <laughs> Boats are romantic. Boats, so yeah, right. Especially after you almost died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're up to two movies, uh, nine sexual encounters. So there we go. We're with. <laughs> Five with eight different one, people. So it's one, two, four different people in this one, and I think four different people in Doctor No. So at least three in Doctor No. Great. So, and we haven't even gotten into the the real Ian Fleming, the the meat of sort of the sicko Ian Fleming parts of characters that mm-hmm. we're going to see in the next couple of movies. Oh yeah, oh, great. Oh yeah. great. Oh, Dave, saw- you have you have no idea what's coming up. Just the hierarchy of the ability to make great names for things like number one, Halo, 
number two in Fleming. Yeah. Uh, okay, got it. <laughs> well, I can't wait. I can't we're we're, we're going to meet Holly Goodhead a little bit later. Holly uh, Goodhead? Just, oh, Dave, you, that, that's like the least. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I swear to God, I don't know how. I didn't get Pussy Galore until I was like 17 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. like I, I, I was watching it on TV. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Oi, yay. Can't wait. So let's talk a little box office here. Um, So think about this. They start shooting the movie April 1st, 1963. The first scene they shoot is the introduction of of, uh, Q, actually. That's uh, day one of the movie. Cool. The movie comes out October 11th, 1963. Six months door to door. Holy insane cow. that is an insane pace i mean they're still shooting it in august yeah. two months later or a month and a half later it's in theaters in at least in england so yeah. i think the blair witch had longer in post than that yeah yeah, yeah. um it comes out october 11 63 in the uk it doesn't come out till may 27 64 in the u.s so there is a there is a gap there but um and then it ends up being two you know, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger come out the same year in 64 in the U.S. But um, it's got a, a $2 million budget. The initial release, uh, it made $12.5 million. So that's a huge... It's a pretty good day at the office. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I think worldwide to date, it's made 79 So with yeah. all the re-releases and everything, it's it's uh, almost $80 million. To, for, to, to say nothing of all the at home video rentals Correct. and purchases. Correct. Uh, that's that's does not include the, and the TV airing licenses. The, and I can't even imagine the money pouring into the, imagine the broccoli how much, estate. Yeah. Imagine how much money they've made specifically from TBS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, Ted Turner has given well, them a ton of money. I mean, it, it may be less than we think because uh, as movie business nerds of, of my ilk um you probably know that the stories that come up every three or four years when every three or four years mgm runs out of money and it's like oh we gotta sell james bond for pennies on the dollar yep like, right. again true um, right um so well, specifically those home video rights have been are were chopped up and weird for a long time yeah I'm pretty sure yeah. I could have shown James Bond on TV if I wanted to at some point in the night. Well, <laughs> you would think that with the amount of times that TBS runs those movies or ran them, I don't know if they still do, but yeah. they they the deal they made probably was you know worth worth it. That it wasn't like you they had to pay every time they ran it like you usually yeah. do. Right, so they yeah. probably had some kind of package deal that like okay we have the rights for this amount of years let's run <laughs> it as gonna, much as we're possible. We're going to get our money's worth. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they were only on Netflix for two months a piece. I was when I was looking to see how I could watch it today. Yeah. It's like James Bond films would appear on Netflix like three at a time and then disappear two months later. Yeah, and, and they don't stream anywhere else. Right. I thought they were on Prime or Hulu. For a you can rent. You they can were rent on them Hulu. Now. You can they rent them. Um, they don't stream anywhere outside the U.S. Yeah. Wow. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, because Hulu... Sky still shows them on TV. Ah. Mm. Uh... Well, Hulu had a had a streaming deal for almost the entire library, or at least the the first twenty or something like that for mm-hmm. a long, for a, for a little bit like recently. But then I think I think as of January first, it was gone. But yeah. I think only for a couple months. Like right. these deals do not last long. Um, yeah, and you've got continuous VHS and DVD and Blu-ray releases. I mean, it feels like they are always 
coming up with new packaging to put these movies out over and over and over. I mean, I got them on DVD. There was three separate box sets that you had to get. And this was in like 2000 to get all the movies. Oh, yeah. And because they came randomly, it was like, it wasn't like Dr. Yes. No through Diamonds Are Forever. It was like random huh. ones put together. So you had to get all three. Those are the ones in the blue packaging? Correct. You got it. Yep. Great DVDs. I mean, the the documentaries and stuff on those DVDs are really fantastic and all the behind the scenes stuff. Um, they, they would like, each one of those DVDs would spotlight a different uh, aspect of the production. So like one looks at specifically Terrence Young and then Harry Saltzman and then the Maurice Binder and then um, Peter Hunt and, and just all the way through and, and really looking at specifically that person's role in the franchise. Because it was like a family, sort of like a family making these. I mean, well, it still is. Well, it you know, still Mike, is. Uh, but Michael I mean, Barbara. right. A lot of the, these department heads would stay for 10, 15 years until they either passed away or retired or, and then they'd hand it off to someone. So, um, yeah, it's still in the Broccoli and Wilson family, right? I mean, the first, whatever, like, uh, 15 or 16 movies only had, I think, like four or five directors. You know, right. uh, Terrence Young did a bunch. Guy Hamilton did a bunch. John Glenn, I think, did four. Uh, I think he did right. five. He did, he did all the Dalton ones and then I think three of the yeah. Roger Moore ones. So I, I think was, he's in the lead with how many they've directed. It was very much a family affair, um, like almost like a repertory company in terms yeah. of the production side of it. Yeah. Um, astronaut John Glenn did did directed Correct. these movies when okay. he came back. Uh, you got to do something when you're back yeah. on Earth, man. <laughs> he was bored. He's like, I'm going to make uh, movies. I mean, John, John Barry, did he score all of them up until Goldeneye? Or? Uh, most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember this is in the mid 90s. Uh, the the soundtrack for the Living Daylights was like an impossible rarity to find. Really? Um, yeah, because it was the first ever Bond score that used uh, electronic music. Mm. Um, it was like I think it was like the only time John Barry ever did anything electronic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the vinyl was crazy expensive. And then one of the like uh, specialty record labels put out a CD of the Living Daylight soundtrack that I still have someplace. Um, nice, yeah, it was a great soundtrack. And and it was like a big deal when it came out. Yeah. Uh, John Glenn was the second unit director for, I think, starting with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So he's a part of this for like 20 years. I mean, he's working on these movies from, I I think, Honor Majesty's all the way through License to Kill. Yeah. And then I think was going to come back and one day we'll get to it. But the third Timothy Dalton movie that was supposed to come out in 91, I think he was scheduled to direct that as well. But that's a whole other separate story that we'll talk about in 20 years. So, Um, all right. So the film comes out. It ends up being uh, the number five movie of 1964 between The Carpetbaggers and Father Goose, neither of which are Mm -hmm. movies that I've seen. Great, great movies. Fantastic. You love them. (laughs) Uh, And it ends up uh, right now, it stands just speaking box office wise. It's the number 23 out of 24 Bond movies. Whoa. Well, what's no surprise because 
you know, inflation and and the movies weren't released the same way back then. Yeah. I mean, they weren't released in the same amount of theaters. So, you know, unfortunately, the older ones never stood a chance of, to making the kind of money that uh, they do now. Of course. My, uh, my favorite James Bond uh, box office fact is that adjusted for inflation, Thunderball is like the fourth or fifth highest grossing movie ever made. Yeah, I mean, that's peak. That That's coming yeah. off of Goldfinger. You know, that's, yeah. a lot of these are reactions to the previous movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. like adjusted for inflation, it's like Gone with the Wind, Snow White, Star Wars, <laughs> Thunderball. <laughs> wow, holy cow. It's crazy, crazy popular movie. I can't wait to talk about that one, too, because there's <laughs> there's a lot of meat on the bone there. Oh, yeah. Um, this was the most popular British movie of 1963. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a, another huge hit for the franchise and clearly going to cement that this will be a franchise and that they are going to continue making these movies and and, uh, you know, trying to make them bigger and better each time. So when they and then so is it after the success of Dr. No, where they're like, OK, bang out, bang out five more in once a year yeah. and and then it was like okay now we can start rope obviously this sets up i mean specter was mentioned in dr no but now we got blowfield and uh and whatever so they're setting up a, a a franchise like in a in a very specific meaningful way yeah it's interesting we i don't want to spoil it for you yeah don't spoil it but that's what it seems like okay adventures are coming specters uh hovering be re- be ready mr bond and it's or interesting Captain to see Bond, excuse me. Ca- Captain Commander, yeah. come on. <laughs> Commander Bond. But if he's wearing the hat, he's Captain. Oh, he's right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. um, it's interesting to see where they take creatively some of the villains and what they do with Spectre. And it doesn't necessarily go where you think it's going to go, but uh, we'll, we'll continue looking at that as we go through this franchise. So when do the, when do the, um, the henchmen start getting weird? When does that start happening? Next movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, great. (laughs) Cool. I'm in. So, uh, yeah, this movie is, you know, very successful. It launches a video game way later in 2002. (laughs) It launches a video game. (laughs) 40 years later, it spawns a video game, (laughs) which was fantastic. I had the video. It was the very last PlayStation 2 game that I ever got. Uh, I got it in like 2010 or something and for like $5 and it's fantastic. It does change, uh, you know, for the purposes of a video game, it does change uh, some of the plot points and some of the action sequences. Like there's, and there's certain things that are modern, like in the third level, like you're in this museum and this helicopter like bursts into this museum and you're, you're, You've got like a shotgun and you're shooting this helicopter. Yeah, that was about as far as I got. But <laughs> I, I assume James Bond can kill about 500 people in the video game. Uh, oh yeah, versus the the 11 he kills. Absolutely. In the movie. <laughs> but the the coolest thing about the video game is they got Sean Connery back to do the voice. Really? Yeah, they got they got the likeness for everybody, but most of the cast were were had passed away by that point. But Connery did came back and did the voice, and you can hear, yeah, like you can hear it's older Sean Connery, but it's yeah. it's really a treat. That's cool. Well, it's you know we had mentioned earlier about bringing Connery back as as a villain, which ended up happening in the Avengers. Um, he eventually came back and played James Bond again in The Rock. I mean, right? 
Yeah. Uh, Mason is 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 so like nakedly a James Bond pastiche. It's yeah. like they're not even trying. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, sixty-ish something Sean Connery still a pretty good James Bond. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh we'll hold. So I consider as far as the Bond franchise goes, I consider it twenty-four movies. I don't count the sixty-seven Casino Royale. I, nor do I count Never Say Never Again. Uh, whether you know the quality of that film is what it is, but. Uh, uh, those are separate movies from the Great. traditional Bond franchise. For me, at least. No, definitely. I mean, I said Casino Royale. I, I don't even know well, the '67 Casino Royale. I, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I do literally know what it, know what it is. But yeah. um, Never Seen Ever Again is an interesting, like, weird, like, parallel universe cinema thing. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not a terrible movie. I don't think I haven't seen it in a hundred years. No, it's not. It's not a terrible movie, but it just exists outside of these Bond movies. Yeah. So, it's uh, we'll we'll talk about that one when we cover Thunderball because it's directly tied into to that specific the, the so, whole Kevin McClory thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I don't know. So overall, how does he? Oh wait, before we do that, let's uh, uh, Austin Powers. We got so, any Austin Powers connections? This is, uh, well, connections, like, here's my thing. And I've, I've, I've been stewing on this for however long it's been now, like 25 years. Um, because I'm such a James Bond, like, nerd, more or less, uh, I remember going to see Austin Powers. I saw it uh, at the old movie theater in Tom's River, New Jersey, when I lived on the shore. Um, and it had been played up as this, oh, it's this hilarious parody of James Bond movies. I'm like, all right, let's, let's go. Let's, oh. let's go do it. Um, but no, and then I remember I came out of it. I'm like, there's, I said, that's a parody of what someone who's never seen a James Bond movie thinks it is. Hmm. Like there's there, aside, like, like, aside from like, Hey, there's a mountain lair. It's all the specific parodic elements are like, not from the movies. They're like the, the broad pop culture conception of, Oh, that's what James Bond does in his movies. And it's, it, I, admittedly, I have not seen an Austin Powers movie in a, in a very long time. And mm. I laughed at them when I did. But I, I remember being very upset. Like, this is, if this is supposed to be a James Bond parody, it's, it's not that very well. I, as it, I, just having only seen them, I would say it's like, it's in James Bond inspired, but I don't think it's pointedly like, like, so I don't think, I think someone sold you on the movies that is entirely in, possible incorrectly like i mean yeah so i think it takes a lot of cues from it but and you know obviously inspired by a lot of design elements or whatever um you know i mean he's a he's a womanizer and uh, you know and he's but he's clearly like a, a weird british guy but all the women still fall for him so that's kind of bondy and, and stuff but like i feel like this is just like yeah i think it's a little more of like exactly as you're describing it it's like it's someone's vision of what like a james bond mo movie maybe would look like as a as a joke but i don't think it was intended to be like let's just take all the great james bond stuff and like have fun with it because I don't, I don't think that's yeah. really the case yeah for most of it but yeah but it's funny because i think a lot of it it's funny on its own i think a lot of the silliness oh, of that, that first one is great i don't know if i ever even saw the third one but uh but don't 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 okay I, I hated I the second one. I hated it. I, I, so I hate the third one. 
seeing the second one in a theater, I like remember laughing so much, like my stomach oh, hurt. Yeah. Oh, I just hated it because I was like, this is the same movie again. It's the same jokes. And uh, well, welcome to the world of Mike ba- Myers. <laughs> I also have some bad news about the next 23 James Bond. Movies. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, this could be, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a selling point. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I just I hit the. The first Austin Power work is it was like a fish out of water almost kind of thing. He's this like archaic character, cartoonish character. And then it was like, well, let's just put the fish back in the water and see how it goes. Yeah. Which is the second well, one. I was like, well, that's not funny. <laughs> for me, the first movie works because of Michael York, honestly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And even the second one. Um, but it's one of the things like, yeah, these are funny, but like I, I'm trying to think like for me, like when you talk about like great parody, I mean, I kind of grew up because my parents are weird with like the national lampoon like board of the rings style parody that's mm-hmm. really specific and yeah. and and uh like galaxy quest i feel is a is much it's a much closer parody to its source material sure yeah than, than austin powers is necessarily yeah not that I, one's better than the other i just uh get and dave knows this get unnaturally uh upset about nomenclature right yeah i yeah whoever told you is a parody i think is a, is a jerk <laughs> yeah I, I don't think parody is the right word for it but the, okay. I, you know a lot of callbacks to it especially visually really because obviously oh, yeah. his character is nothing like james bond it's just sort of some of the things that happen the the wardrobe the the set pieces for sure yeah. um and some of the action sequences is really i think all it amounts to yeah and it gives us Seth Green too. So yeah, there you go. Hey, Seth Green became a star. Yeah, why not? Like, good for him. Um, Joker. Well, is there when we were I just kind of with the helicopter chase though? Like the helicopter sequence in the in the hills of Scotland. I mean, mm-hmm. I gotta say that looked like the most dangerous goddamn thing going <laughs> on. That was awesome, by the way. I just like, yeah. I mean, like, I, I really want to start like those those last few sequences of the movie were, were yeah. great like totally yeah. worth the price of admission yeah but i was there was a moment where i'm like if he could just find a flock of seagulls to like distract right. and fly up into the into the blades well, I, I love that james bond's plan to evade a helicopter is to run around in an open field <laughs> yeah climb a higher <laughs> climb up a hill <laughs> like, yeah. you know like, genius and then hide under a rock while they're throwing grenades at him yeah and then when and then when Robert Shaw is like wrestling with him and fighting him mm-hmm. and like trying to survive, it's just like the shark. He's got him in his jaws. Like it was <laughs> like the same thing. Robert Shaw dies like the same way almost for do, me. Do you want to tell him, John, or should I? <laughs> you can. Uh, no, we'll get, you'll get to it. It's okay. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? Does this... Nothing. Nothing. It's fine. You're fine. <laughs> Does Robert Shaw come back? Uh, no. Oh, is he not dead? Oh no! Say, I'm actually sort of now. It's like I go through my inventory. Oh, Robert Trump doesn't come back in one of these movies, does he? No, 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 no. No, you'll see. What do you uh, Yeah. Oh, I, oh, there's other there's shark there's other sharks in the movie in Bond, right? Oh, That's, there's sharks. There's, oh, there's sharks. sharks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. You might say they're very reminiscent of Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> do those sharks uh, come after Jaws the film in like the late like late seventies early eighties? Uh huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. Uh-huh. I'm in. But this, this is, is so, this is so weird, John. This is like being the person who read Game of Thrones when your friends had only watched it on TV. <laughs> right. Right. And, and the thing I always say is, I could tell you what's going to happen. You won't believe me. Yeah. 
I, I can't wait. I, I'm really excited to see David as we go through this, especially as we get to the bigger movies, which, you know, Goldfinger is arguably the, the biggest of the early ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you think of it. And, and I'm really curious about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah the, uh, the train sequence is my personal favorite uh, yeah. of the film, uh, the intensity of it. I mean, you, you have great actors there and, and a really well done well choreographed uh, fight sequence with mm-hmm. I think Peter Perkins was a stunt coordinator on this one. Uh, it's just really well done. And the tension, the way it's built up, the way they remove Tatiana from the situation and, yeah. and then the use of the gadgets, the gadgets finally come back into play yeah. and it, it all, it all kind of comes together for me in that, in that sequence. And it'll be far from the only time we see a fight on a train in this franchise. <laughs> But no, as John, as Kazimple said earlier, like it's it's it still works. Like it's really well done. Uh, mm-hmm. great, just a great visceral fight. I just uh, like you, you know. There's action movies today that can't do good as good of, of a job in like a, a tight tight space fight, mm-hmm. you know. And edited, and it's all in the edit too, because like I mean, action sequences today are edited down to nothing. Like just a thousand shots, you know, every half a second, you know, yeah. to, to try to like fake intensity um whereas i mean it's, i think this is a perfectly edited s- sequence it was great yeah it real threatening very exciting yeah. for me that's what holds you know the strong action sequences at the end uh is really what kind of ha- ties the film together and holds it up as as one of the better you know we said it's not necessarily you don't have all your bondisms in this so yeah. Maybe it's not the best in that respect, but as a movie, uh, as a spy movie and a movie itself uh, works really well. So, yeah. Um, and then the, the final fight with Kleb, uh, you know, when and Tatiana finally has the gun and she's deciding yes! where, where her loyalty lays, but the way she moves the gun and looks at them, it, it's really, she's, it looks like she's thinking, which one's which? Like, <laughs> it really, to me, she was just confused. Like, which one do I shoot? Like, yeah. she, I don't know, but I, mean, but I, I, was... I watched it. I'm like, oh, is she like actually has to decide who she's ch- or trying to decide who to actually shoot? Kind of like that, like 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 the Darth Vader at the end of Jedi moment yeah. there. Unless it was just like you know it was poorly blocked and she's just waving the prop around, like <laughs> yeah, yeah make it make it look big. Okay, well, <laughs> well, it's the thing. I, I I get she was trying to like she was ha- she's supposed to communicate like an internal struggle, but it looks just she just looks confused to me. <laughs> like, yeah. like well, because she doesn't warn him. Who's when, the real bond? Shows up. Yeah. 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 I think a, that was a great, that was a great scene. Some of that stuff, you know, we talked about what doesn't, what doesn't hold up and uh, a lot of the, the, you know, a lot of things relating to the women in the movie and in the franchise. I mean, is there even a question of where is honey rider here? Mm. You know, mm. like the women in these movies are, are the way they're treated. They're just, they're, they're like props. They're discarded at the end, you know, or or between movies. Like yeah. Honey Rider, who cares? Forget about her. We're on yeah. to the next one. Tatiana, who cares? We'll never see her again. We don't yeah. see her again. Spoiler oh, alert. No. Darn it. Yeah. Oh man. But that's well, famous for the for this I, franchise. I mean, so. b- between from Rush with Love and uh, Casino Royale, to my memory, and and John, correct me if I'm wrong. A woman is only even mentioned again once, and that's when uh, David Hedison mentions. Um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on her name, uh, Diana Rigg. 
uh, in license, yeah. the beginning of License to Kill when he says she when she says he was married once. Right. Like I said, I don't think you even the movie even acknowledges the existence of the women in previous movies. Yeah. Until you get to until until Daniel Craig. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's it's yes, absolutely correct. Tracy. God damn it. Yeah, Tracy. Noise. Yep. I want to see Jinx come back. Could Jinx maybe make it into this well, last Daniel Craig movie? Jinx was supposed to get a spinoff franchise that yeah. never happened. I would have been fine with that. Give yeah. me a Jinx movie. Who didn't want Jinx? <laughs> so, Dave, have you never heard of like the Bond Girl Curse? No, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm 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 aware of it. It's just you know, like I'm. But I mean, there's always exceptions to these rules, so it was just sort of like, oh, there kind of aren't though. Yeah, I suppose, right? Yeah, (laughs) no, but I'm I'm aware. It's like if you're in that movie, you're in you're only in that movie, and you might die. (laughs) (laughs) You'll probably be killed, so or whatever. So, um, yeah, yeah. I meant for your career afterwards. Yeah. Oh, oh, like oh, like they don't like. Yeah, think think about it. Oh. Yeah, I think. Oh. I mean, I would say Ursula Andress might be an exception, but it wasn't necessarily acting career that was really propelled her. You know, sure, sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, but he's right. There's uh, if you look at the the female leads that they what happens after Bond, not necessarily the greatest. Hmm. Also, we'll say uh, R.I.P. to Tanya Roberts, uh, Bond Bond Is girl. Is she actually dead? She, she, yes, she has. She has. Apparently, there passed. was some confusion on this point. Th- there she was, was alive. She was still alive at the first announcement, and then yeah. she died a few days later. Oh, yeah. that's too bad. Yeah, it was like she passed. No, she's still alive. <laughs> and then she actually passed. So yeah. oh, that's too bad. Yeah, but uh, that's a Bond Bond uh, lady from A View to a Kill. So. But uh, yeah, so that's that's from Russia with Love. Uh, I I like I said, I'm excited to see what you think as we go through this. And and John, uh, I would we'd love to have you back here as we continue diving through this, the longest running franchise in film history, right? Must be uh, longest running. I don't know if it's the most uh, installments, but it's I mean definitely the long definitely the longest running. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't count like Dracula, Frankenstein, any of those because those are no, like no. separate. You know, there's not really a through line. Whereas these, uh, these are made by the same people. So, yeah, um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting, and and we got a big one coming up next, and and we'll do that. You know, every couple of months, right? We're gonna uh, yeah. we're gonna pull out a Bond film and and uh, look at how it holds up today, and. And uh, John, thank you so much for for joining us here. No, thank you for having me. It was fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you've got a lot of work to do back in the UK and and, uh, and everything. So that you can take a time to pause and talk Bond uh, is a is a great privilege. No, I mean our 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 current project had been our attempts to uh, clone Sean Connery, obviously, because that's what we want to get back to. Uh, with the last recent, let's say, you know, lack of fresh DNA on that score we're having to do some other things but hopefully we will soon be at our goal of being able to fully recreate uh highlander 2 not digitally absolutely perfect yes it it needs the shot for shot remake with cloned actors (laughs) uh, if if there's a better use of technology i i can't think of what i can't (laughs) so 
So yeah, thank you, man. This was great. I'm so glad you're you were able to to talk with us. I, no, I, fantastic. I loved it. Like I said, you guys uh, took me to school. I appreciate that. This is this was a lot of fun for me. Well, awesome. yeah, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to having you back. And stay tuned to our social media accounts for what's coming up next. You can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at Reconsummation Podcast. You can always check out our back episodes at www.reconsummation.com. Don't forget to uh, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify and Stitcher and Podbean, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, it helps the show and boosts our exposure a little bit. Uh, and thank you to our friends, E.K. Wimmer, for the theme music. As usual, check out his podcast, Laser Graves, and our friend Curtis Moore for the poster. Really, really fun time every time he throws a piece of work together for us. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go back to uh, I'm gonna go back to my couch, pop on TBS movies for guys who like movies, <laughs> and ca- watch Bond all day today, tomorrow. I'm gonna watch Goldfinger immediately followed by Octopussy. Perfect. Perfect uh, order. Perfect. <laughs> I'm for guys who like movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna wait till it's time to to, to pull out the old uh, the old rentals for for Goldeneye. Golden finger, Goldfinger. Golden me. finger. Golden finger. Steve <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Martin movie. Golden finger. No, it's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, excellent. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we will see you next time on Reconsideration. Thank you. Bye now. From Russia, we'll Saturday night, James Bond weekend continues. Where there's beauty, there's Bond. You know, I never even looked at another woman. Sean Connery from Russia with love. 8.05 Eastern, Saturday night on TBS.